Well, hello. It is Thursday, May 14th. Big show. A lot of conversation. I hope you enjoy the hell out of it. If you do, tell a friend. If you don't, just act like it never happened. Hashtag, this is where I'm at. Pat, take a picture of where you're listening, what you're doing. How have you spent the last, I don't know, month and a half, two months? We're putting something together. And you could potentially win some free merch, which we appreciate the hell out of. We've given away over 100 t-shirts in the last few weeks. Looking to give away more. And also, shout out to Roman. Obviously, everybody knows Roman is the men's health brand that's trying to help you be the best you. Whether it's hair products, skin products, you name it, they have it to make you the ultimate you. The thing that we are currently uh, selling you and informing you about is quarantine sex is a real thing, okay? Get a little bit boring. Why don't you have some long sex? Why don't you have the best sex you've ever had in your life? Why don't you have sex after rubbing some Roman swipes on your shaft? Yes, Roman swipes are these geniusly crafted swipes that you rub on your baby maker moments before fornication. And it'll make you have longer, better sex. And it won't transfer to your partner, so nobody will even know that you were taking a performance-enhancing swipe. It arrives in your door, at your door, in discreet packaging. It's small enough to go in your pocket. Nobody will know you have it. And nobody knows that you have a secret weapon, a tag team partner in your pocket that's going to make you have longer, better sex. And right now, go to GetRoman.com forward slash Pat. Get free two-day shipping right now. It's a good deal. It'll make you better in a sack. GetRoman.com forward slash Pat. All right, let's get to it, huh? Hey, let's get to it already. All right. Joining us now, insider from The Athletic, a man who knows things before everybody else knows things, the handsome Sean Strania. Yes, Sean! And a boy, Sean! Appreciate the introduction as always, brother. Hey, no problem. You're centered on your triangles this time. I appreciate that. It was making <laughs> me a little bit dizzy the last time. Shams, let's get right to it. You're breaking a lot of news on your Twitter feed at Shams Sharania. Uh, you're doing a lot of things in the last couple of days. It feels as if, and we might be wrong here, you know more than us, it feels like this NBA Biodome-like tournament is probably going to happen if it has the ability to happen. Am I wrong in saying that? The key words that you just said, if it has the ability to happen, like at the end of the day, you know, I spoke to several owners that were on that call uh, yesterday. And the biggest point is we need to make sure that there are enough tests available. And at the end of the day, science will be able to dictate whether they have a season or not. And, you know, Adam Silver put a two to four week timetable on his decision. So he's willing to take till up up until mid-June. And I think they want the owners, everyone around the league wants to know at the end of the day, Will there be a season or do they have to scrap it and start to go into, you know, virtual draft, a virtual combine? Sorry, guys, I get a text. This is this. You see, this is what happens when you're doing live events. No, is it important? <laughs> Hold on. If that's an important text, you go. Ahead. If Adam Silver just texted you, you go ahead. and you <laughs> It read was the- not important. It was someone's talking about a trip to Disney. If there was a. If there's a season in Disney, but who, you know, who knows if that will be the case. All right. Question though, I have for you. It feels like Adam Silver and the NBA have been the most conservative on their projections. They have not come out. They said, Hey, we're going to wait. Adam Silver said, don't expect to hear anything until May. Now he's saying, we'll push this back two to four weeks, maybe to mid June. It feels like they have been the most conservative league. We're not giving out any false hope. We're not going to do anything until we can see all the information that we need. Now it feels as if there's a growing sense of optimism. Am I wrong in thinking that there is like an optimism? It seems 
like the players, LeBron, Chris Paul, the boys, they want to do it, which I thought they were potentially not going to want to do it. It seems like the owners maybe want it to happen. Is it feel like there's a real trend in an optimistic fashion towards this potentially happening? I think, I think there's two things. Um, there's always been a majority of owners, league office personnel, play, star players, executives that have been hopeful that they can resume the season because everyone understands the ramifications that would take place if there is no season. There's CBA ramifications with the collective bargaining agreement. There's like billions of dollars at stake if the NBA does not play this season. At the end of the day, that's the bottom line. And so you factor that in. You know, and and another factor that's becoming into play is just the understanding of this might be our new normal. It might simply be the new normal that we have to deal with people, players testing positive and being able to resume our day to day activities despite that. And at the end of the day, what types of risk factors is the NBA going to be comfortable with? You know, Adam Silver told players on Friday, he he said it again to the owners on Tuesday. How much risk are we going to be able, going to be able to be uh, dealing with and okay dealing with when we do resume play, whether it's now or in the fall or the winter? Adam Silver told owners yesterday, at the end of the day, the risks are probably going to be the same if we resume come Christmas time next season anyway. Okay, so was there any thought that the UFC – uh, had an event this weekend. Was there any talk about how they had somebody test positive and they still went forward? I think the WWE, I'm not sure they had anybody test positive, but they had people getting tested before they were coming into the performance center to do the show. Is that kind of the method they're thinking? Like, listen, we could potentially have to deal with somebody having a positive and we just have to get them away from everybody and continue forward in the fashion UFC did and many of others probably have. Is that something they looked at and said, you know what, maybe this does lend a hand to us coming back more than we think? I think the NBA has looked at the UFC. I think they've looked at every every other organization out there. And Adam Silver has had a lot of discussions with Rob, Rob Manfred with the MLB oh. um, and, and different commissioners just trying to come up with the protocol. on. that's the biggest question. That's the most elusive question that everyone has. What happens if a player tests positive again when you return? That's what shut down the NBA to begin with on March 11th. That's what has led to the shutdown of our of our nation is 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 our tests. You know, people testing positive for the coronavirus and the the ability to withstand a positive test, multiple positive tests, and mm. still go on with your league. Continue to have daily testing. Remove that player or personnel in isolation and quarantine. And then you know, Adam Silver, I think, would still have a two day break for the league if a player or person tests positive. And and. I think the protocols on and the understanding that this is going to be our new normal is going to be important if the NBA does come back this season. What you said in your last answer before I diverted away from it, whenever you said that uh, they said they think that the risk is going to be the same as it is in Christmas as it is now, they, they feel like this is just going to be potentially the way it goes. Have you heard that from like owners? Is that what Adam Silver exactly said? Like, hey, if we decide to come back, there's going to be risks. But I have a feeling there's going to be risks in Christmas, maybe potentially next spring. Like there's going to be a risk. We're just going to have to figure out whether or not what time we feel safe enough to roll back into this thing. And this thing's always going to be looming overhead. Is that what he said? Right. It's the unknown. It's the, the fact that this may be the exact same risk factor, if not worse, uh, now as it as it will be in the fall or the winter. At the end of the day, the, obviously the NBA just doesn't know. And so when you're dealing with the risk and the unknown of this virus, that is that's what's caused this delay. That's what's caused this this, um, you know, this this pause in all of our lives. And so the NBA is now going to use the next two to four weeks. Find out if the risk factors are worth trying to play 
But again, there's so much financial uh, implications in play that it's going to be tough to just fully scrap the season. I think players, owners, they all want to see if there's a way, uh, like you mentioned, in a bubble atmosphere, if they're able to continue. And again, like what Adam Silver made clear on Friday and again on Tuesday is that this bubble atmosphere wouldn't be a medical bubble. Players, personnel could still potentially leave that environment, the playing grounds environment, but then would have to come back and upon reentry have to be retested. And I think having the ability to test all these people, you're going to need a lot of testing. And I think that's what the NBA is going to try to figure out over the next month. Yeah, because we, AJ Hawk and I talked about this last week on McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk. We thought that there was a chance that, you know, a lot of these guys uh, enjoy having sex. So they're going to lock them down for a month (laughs) and then just expect no potential thought choppers to come in there. So the thought that they're allowed to leave said biodome and then come back is good for the sport, I think, by the way. It's good for the sport of basketball. Does it feel like Disney World is where this is going to go down? Because you just got a text saying, hey, are we going to Orlando? It has already been public saying Orlando or Vegas will be the place because they have enough hotels and they have enough facilities to house it. Is that kind of the direction it seems like they're trending? And will it be a bracket-style tournament like March Madness? So to answer your second question, I don't think the NBA fully knows what type of format they want to do. Are they just going to eliminate the non-playoff teams and say, listen, we're done with it, just the top eight. You're going to have the best of seven, just like they do normally um, out of the 16 teams. Are you going to do that? Or are you going to do a play-in tournament for seats seven to ten and allow you know, there to be some kind of excitement going into a, a playoff and have a play-in tournament with those teams and allow the teams in the nine and ten seed, you know, the – the the Kings or the Wizards or the, or Zion Williamson to have an opportunity to play in the playoffs. Um, so they still have not decided to answer your first question. I don't know if there's a front runner. You know, Vegas. There's a lot of history with the NBA in Vegas. Come summertime, there's a lot of luxury that exists in Vegas with the hotels that these star players are accustomed to. You know, w- would star players be okay going in into Disney World? I think that's something you have to factor in as well. I think the NBA does view Disney World as more of a safer potential ground because it's, it is closed off. Whereas Vegas, there's a lot more ability to move and spread around. Um, but listen, at the end of the day, wherever these, these players are going to be, it's not like it's going to be a free for all. Everything is open. Society is going to be what it's been uh, for all our lives. That would be so awesome to watch. If they just go back to back to back nights for like three weeks, Oh, it would be AU basketball. Oh, it'd be, yeah, it's exactly like they've been doing their entire lives, basically. I mean, it would be – plus other teams sitting in the stands oh. watching. I mean, it would be cool to watch LeBron sitting there watching another couple teams. I mean, it would just be – it'd be electric. And I would assume that they're having those conversations among the owners and the players. Like, hey, we have a chance to create something here that has never happened before, that will be remembered forever. And just like Greeny said on Get Up, the asterisks that Charles Barkley talks about and Shaq talks about, even though they said it's dangerous, but also the asterisks about how it's not real. I think the asterisks will be a good one. Like, hey, you remember in 2020 when the world shut down and we won a championship out there in Las Vegas and somehow managed to stay away from the bottle service girls long enough (laughs) to get our team focused in there? I mean, that is a a real thing. Uh, Last question before we let you go. Shams, you're incredible, by the way. I appreciate you for doing this. Um, Has anybody talked to Zion in what weight is he at? Has he used this quarantine to change his body completely? And now that he's getting sued by Gina, is there any where's Zion, Zion coming out of this thing? Is he going to be bigger, badder, and better than ever? I hope. You know, I, I saw he d- he did an interview with you know the NBA social media feed the other week, and he said he if he could, you know, if he had to go out there and play now, he's in shape that he's ready to go that he Let's could go. play. So mm-hmm. you know, my up. understanding is that he's been staying in shape. He's been. 
you know, preparing his body and, and his form for if there's going to be a playing tournament, if there's going to be a, a fine finality to this regular season, whatever the case may be. Zion Williamson has been in, the, in, in whatever gym, quarantine gym he has working. I'm amazed that you were able to cut your own hair like that. I'm going to let you know. You every time you come on here, you look fresh. To that doesn't show me. Shams look fresh it's, every time you come. It's just on. for your show, Pat. That's all it's for, and then I just go back and grow everything out again. Well, you look great. You sound great, and we appreciate the hell out of you, ladies and gentlemen. Senior NBA insider for the Athletic, Shams Sharon. Yeah, boy, Shams. Big a boy, Shams. You too, pal. Um, this is interesting. Yeah, feels like no one knows. Need that playing tournament. <laughs> That's what I, that was. Need my question that. was going to be like, what's the format when we get back? What are we cutting teams out? Is it just going to be the top sixteen? Like, what are we doing? Very legitimate statement there by Connor too. It feels like nobody has a clue what the hell's going to happen. Correct. But it feels like there's some optimism spewing, oh, yeah. not only on our streets but also in these conversations. It feels like there's some optimism. Not not in California, New York, and those places. We very much hate that that is happening. But it feels like there's optimism in a lot of other places in the desert. Remember, the Las Vegas mayor said, "Hey, we'll be a guinea pig for the rest yeah. of the world." <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Open this some bitch back up. Let's get these pool parties going to Vegas. So Vegas would be open. High society. They have the ability to house everybody in penthouses and stuff that people would want, I'd assume. You're not going to put LeBron down there in a $20 motel, I'd assume. Uh-huh. Not going to be able to pull that off. In the proposal, I believe it was from MGM, who has like the three hotels at the end of the south side of the strip or whatever, who put up uh, for like the Vegas showcase every single year, said that they could put 20 courts in their convention center and house them all in the th- those three or four hotels or whatever and still have like table games and stuff open for the players and the restaurants and stuff like that. So it's going to be in Vegas. Sounds like it. Sounds like it's going to be in Vegas. So let's go ahead and lock in Vegas, play in tournament for Team 7 to 10. Shout out Zion, getting some game. And then obviously the playoffs mm-hmm. running out there while they're in their own little world. Can't wait for it. The asterisk is going to be a big one. It's going to be like, this is the most awesome championship of all time. <laughs> shout out to Shams for joining us. And shout out to the world for literally not knowing a single thing that's going to happen <laughs> tomorrow. Tonight, when you pass out, if you don't fall asleep easy like me, for instance... There is a company out here that is creating something that puts you out like a light. Like a light. Like a light. CBDMD's CBDPM is a game changer for those who are a little restless at night. People say you can't put a good price on good night's sleep. But those people are wrong. CBDMD did it with CBDPM and now they're doing it again with a brand new way to put you out. Like a light. Zito's taking his CBD PM home right now, and it's actually the CBD PM soft gels, which are a quick and convenient way to get the deeper sleep you deserve. These soft gels contain the same award-winning formula as CBD PM, giving you all the CBD, melatonin, and chamomile you're used to in a powerful pre-measured capsule. And to make trying CBDMD for yourself even easier, they're offering listeners of this show 25% off your next order when you use the code McAfee at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code McAfee, M-C-A-F-E-E, for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. I'm not a good sleeper. That concoction that they put together of CBD and melatonin and chamomile is a game changer. Take it about 30 minutes before you want to pass out. Bingo, bango, gonzo. You're gone. Hey, yo.
Welcome to McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk. We are entering day X of quarantine and live sports not happening in America aside from human cockfighters. We can't wait to chat with you about a potential beef with Mark Cuban, a little conversation, and the Blue Angels are flying over top of the building in about an hour. Yeah! We will go check that out. Woo! Joining me uh, is the co-host of the show, the man that's sitting on the uh, throne of cigars and lighters here to my left, Mr. A.J. Hawk. What's up, Pat? You, you're, was that a, a Rocky Balboa impression you did to start the show out? Scott Hall. AJ. Razor Ramon. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Yeah, I know who he is. Nah. Yeah, he's in that the Jake the Snake documentary, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Oh! Crag. Crag Don. Crag. Crag Don. And the monoscope. <laughs> Sorry about that. What went down? What'd you what'd you knock over? Ah. Send it over to Mo for the results. Mo! <laughs> <laughs> That's a show you didn't know anything about, right? Yeah, yeah. I still don't know anything about it. it. You had to have seen it. It feels like you probably competed in it. Yeah. Was it on Nickelodeon? Yeah. You know Michael Malley. Michael Malley, Mo, Agro Craig. I, I honestly I don't know why I, I can't think of it. You know, how come my hair won't stay down here? You need some hair gel. It's a curl. I don't use hair gel. It's been trained to stay oil. Car oil works. Car oil. Car oil. You ever seen that movie Crybaby? It's not rocking up. You ever seen Crybaby, the movie? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Giant Depp tied his tongue with a band-aid, or with, uh, what do you call it? uh, uh, Fur bands. Was Johnny Depp Crybaby? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, it makes so much more sense. We were forced to watch that whenever we were kids, weren't we? Was that not moving on on whenever we were in high school or something like that? It was on a lot when we were younger. Crybaby was having sex with all the ladies. <laughs> he was emotional, though. He cried all the time. Guy had feelings. The girls probably liked that. Maybe that's why he was getting with them. Well, that's why, you know, Drake sings all these soft songs mm-hmm. because he's single. Man. I, I just want him. Well, come on with a banger. Have you well, he to- probably knows. Don't you think girls are more likely to, to buy his albums and, and stream all of his stuff than guys? Well, I mean, at this point, yeah, because he doesn't want us to like any of his music. That's mm-hmm. what yeah. I'm learning about Drake. He does not want me to like his music, which is kind you of know, a good movie. Pat, and your hair reminded me of it. Look who's talking. Oh, John yeah. Travolta's in it. Oh. You're saying I look like John Travolta and look who's talking? From, no, from Greece. Oh, Danny Zuko. Beauty school dropper. No graduation day for you. Beauty school dropout. Hey, did you see the Gotti movie? Belgium flung shampoo. I used that as a pregame uh, music whenever I was a senior in soccer. Ah. They, I used the entire Grease soundtrack as the pregame. So you come to the stadium to watch our soccer team play. The pregame music was picked by the seniors. We picked the Grease soundtrack. So that's what was banging <laughs> over the speakers whenever people would come. There's no reason. Uh, I was hated by every principal and teacher and, and athletic director, but it was electric. You know, you get the student section. So, Beauty school drama. You don't want it, I want yeah. <laughs> Sorry, AJ, let's get back to it. Um, today, I learned today, this morning, from Darren Woodson, who's a Cowboys 
Ring of Honor member, a man who was in a lot of Pro Bowls, an absolute stud, worked for ESPN for 14 years. His business that he's focusing on now is the Darren Woodson Show, which is a deep conversation, dive into the journey of getting to the top. But also, he's a, a real a commercial real estate guy. They, uh, they search in real estate. I think they find office space, whatever. You get it. He does good business there. His office is in the Dallas Cowboy facility there the star whatever the hell it is and he has a window in his office that just overlooks the practice facility he told us about how in june he'll see dak prescott thrown to like the number five wide receiver to get his reps in at 2 p.m i said excuse me darren I, I mean i respect the fact that dak is a leader and he's going in the extra work but i have to question you being able to watch this can you just see all of practice he said yeah my window goes right to the practice field the outdoor practice facility i was like are you the only office that does that he said no 30 to 50 offices have that so who knows how many humans are in there? If you're the Philadelphia Eagles, why don't you just get a shell corporation down in Dallas, get one of those things, and you're just watching practice. I This was one of the most absurd things I've ever heard, especially because my knowledge of general managers being scared to death that their shit's going to get leaked. It feels like that's a setup for a disaster. Is that why the clapper couldn't win? Because people see what he was clapping about in practice, write it down, send it to the team, and just one little advantage without knowing a surprise. I mean, that's a big deal. Down. Am I wrong? And over? Am I overstating this, Mr. Hawk? No, I don't think you're overstating it, especially with the level of paranoia that most coaches seem to have in the NFL. So his office, this is all part of their new practice facility that Jerry Jones owns the whole deal, right? Yeah, he owns the practice facility, and then they have buildings on either side, too. So it's like it's completely encapsulated, basically, of corporate America. So you, he can charge more rent, I'm sure, if it overlooks the practice field, but it does open it up to people setting GoPros up, hidden cams, watching, seeing what they're doing. Let alone nowadays, you know, they got those cameras that are as small as a, a pin. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They can see whatever. Now, if I'm Mike McCarthy, I think mission number one is probably to get our practice field some fucking privacy. <laughs> I, I, I think that is something that you should think about. Now, I, Jerry Jones is a brilliant businessman. But maybe the reason why the Cowboys haven't been winning as much is because everybody knows what the fuck they're going to do. I mean, that, that just seems like a potential disadvantage to your team. Now, I might be wrong. They might have other practice. I guess they have an indoor practice facility as well. But anytime they're playing an outdoor team, I would assume that they're practicing outside. There's just buildings surrounding it that can watch their every move. That is insanity to me. It, well, especially how close they are, Ned. It's all part of like the Cowboys thing. Like That's what's weird about it. There's other places like Cincinnati where they practice is right off the highway and there's it's right pretty much in downtown cincinnati so there's high-rise buildings up there that you could go camp out and watch with binoculars if you wanted but the Bengals don't own those buildings but it would be a lot more difficult but if you're like woodson says if you're describing it to where it's it's one of those offices that overlooks their outdoor field yeah i guess mike mccarthy may be doing anything that's uh Anything meaningful he might be doing in the indoor facility and not not put it out there for everyone to see, it seems like. I, yeah, that's just an added distraction, but Jerry's making money off of it, I assume, which is good for the business, which is good for the team, which is good for everything. So you have to kind of live by the sword, die by the sword in this particular fashion, but special teams, any fakes, those things have to be 100% surprised or they'll blow up in your face. I mean, that is something that has to happen. Even trick plays on the offensive side of the ball has to happen. Now, it doesn't look like there's any upright. So I'm assuming they're not running full practices out there. That's just, oh, no, there's one back there. The practice facility's back there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The indoor, yeah. And look at that building right there. Well, don't they play, like, high school games at their indoor facility? State I, championship is there. I have no idea. I just know Darren Woodson told me 30 to 50 companies can just overlook the practice field. And that, that was madness to me because Bill Poling used to think planes that were flying too low were potentially the fucking Patriots. I mean, that's... <laughs> That should, so now this is even happening. 
I mean, is Mike McCarthy going to say, hey, I need McAfee's woodpecker down here to come break every fucking pane of glass? <laughs> you don't even have to open up a shell company. Just if you're, say you have a, some low-level scout, you send him off, say he's going he's gonna to go scout the, the Dallas area, and he finds a way into getting a job with one of these companies that has an office overlooking the, this practice facility. So, and he's the only guy there that knows what he's doing. He acts like he's doing his normal job, whatever. He, he's an accountant. And he's overlooking the facility, but like you said, he's setting up these weird little pinhole cameras trying to to spy on what the Cowboys are doing, just going about his life and sending that info back uh, back to Philly or wherever he works for. Bro, classic espionage, classic, yeah. classic, classic textbook. And by the way, people think that the people in the NFL won't do this. You're wrong. <laughs> people in the NFL will do this. Wins There's and billions losses. and billions of dollars on the line. Yeah, wins and losses revolve. There's a lot of money and commas moving whenever you're winning games. And if you can get an advantage like that, that's something. Now, I assume Jerry had already thought about this, and I assume he had his master plan. But what if you really, think he really vets these companies? Like, hey, you're not going to spy oh, on us, are you? Yeah. Who's your favorite team? Cowboys, damn right. Get a fucking <laughs> Find out Jerry. Also. He knows all about give corporate a, espionage. Yeah, give him a 10-year lease. I would want an office overlooking the Cowboys practice facility. We should. I thought about us having a mobile studio. Like <laughs> One day we just go down there and the backdrop is the Dallas Cowboys practice facility. What do we got to pay? We get a five-year lease. It's worth it. Just drop down there whenever we want and have our own live show from their practice oh. facility. That's immediately what I thought while Darren Woodson was talking. I was like, we should get an office down there. And then I had to continue the conversation, obviously, and make it seem smooth. But in my head, I was just thinking of everything. I'm like, oh, my God, you just know everything that's going on. you got to be able to decipher all the information, though, like all that you're seeing, which head coaches can do, but it's going to take some time. Like if you want to actually gain some kind of good info that you can use in a game, you got to really take a lot of time and watch all of that and write it down and figure out. Even if you know they have their practice in this fake – Let's say they practice the fake for eight weeks in a row. You have no idea when they're going to run it. Oh, you don't think Troy Palomalu fucking flew out to Indianapolis and saw our practice film? I think he did. I still to this day think he, he saw the film somehow. Uh, I don't think so. Well, Ike Taylor told me that he talks to God and God tells him what he's thinking. That's why he does the thing every single time. And, and by the way, speaking of God, Sammy Watkins, an article came out. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so he believes in reincarnation heavily, and he believes that spirits latch onto your soul in different points in your life just to experience the physical being, and then they bounce and go. And he has the ability to decipher the evil spirits that show up, and he can guard them off so bad things don't happen to him. And he thinks sometimes whenever the evil spirits come and he guards them off, they go to somebody else, which is bad because with good comes the bad. He he took a deep dive in a Bleacher Report article down there in New Orleans talking about his beliefs and all this stuff. I mean, this guy is a very deep, deep man who has a lot of thoughts. And I can't fathom having all that going on in your head and being able to figure out how to fucking play football. And he's been able to do this. He's been able to fight off spirits. He's been able to pick and choose which spirits are good and bad and learn Andy Reid's offense, which is a very tough offense to learn. Sammy Watkins might become the beautiful mind in the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it sounds like he may be the smartest guy on the planet. When he like, How do you decipher between good and evil spirits and when do you know like do you know right Looking as the they present eyes. themselves or do you take some time to vet them the eyes are the windows to the soul my friend so whenever that spirit shows up you look at him in the eyes or her in the eyes and you can see if they're good or not you say hey lady get the hell out of here or hey you can come to the super bowl with me if you want it's really pretty simple 
Yeah, I mean, you guys are also calling him guy and man. He he could be a dog. He might be a dinosaur. You know, you don't know. He did say that you never know who you are and what your spirit actually is. Mm-hmm. My spirit, for instance, probably an American bald eagle that had passed away, mm-hmm. came into a human, yes. and now it's living its its physical human life. It's using my body as a carrier of its soul and uh-huh. spirit. Sammy Watkins said he potentially fucking dinosaur. We don't know. Do we know if he's a triceratops? We will never know. We will honestly never know. But Sammy doesn't know either. He said it could be anything. He just has to ward off the spirits. And hey, if this helps you get by day to day and this helps you enjoy your life, I'm all about it. Do whatever you got to do, pal. But it seems exhausting. It does seem exhausting. But I want to, I'm curious to know can you cultivate enough of this to where? When a bad spirit comes your way, I can direct it towards somebody else. Like, I don't, not just get away from me, but I want to point it right at somebody that I want to I don't to think you can catch it and throw it. You can just deflect it. He said in the article, he wins the Super Bowl and then his uncle passes away, who was very close to him, had no prior illnesses. They don't know why he died. He's afraid that he potentially got one of the evil spirits that decided to turn him off after he warned him away during the Super Bowl. I mean, that is exhausting. I'm, I'm glad that I cannot communicate with these spirits, good or evil, because it does seem like a big responsibility that I just don't want right now. Think about those mediums, that Long Island lady. She's uh, just walking around all the time, and these fucking dead people are just popping in. Like, yeah, hey, I she's totally to legit. Whoopi. Whoopi. Is that her name? No, uh, Goldberg? Whoopi Goldberg was one. What's that? The movie Whoopi Ghost? Goldberg. Yeah. yeah, she was Whoops. a medium. Whoopi Goldberg's a medium? Yes. Oh, uh, you've never seen Ghost? Nah. Uh, Patrick Swayze. The, the, the pottery scene where the guys, uh, Patrick Swayze's behind. And they're oh, like, he's feeling her up and groping her while they're doing Oh, yeah. They're, <laughs> what? It's oh, a yeah. horrible boss they're making. What are you guys talking about? I'm making pots. Yeah. Well, I'll pull the scene. Anyways, Sammy Watkins is going through some shit. And if this helps him get by day to day, I mean, by the way, maybe he's not going through some shit. Maybe we just aren't at the level that he's at. But I couldn't imagine being tasked with the, the duty of warding off spirits that are potentially coming to attack my, my body. I just couldn't imagine having to do it. While you're playing a Super Bowl, nonetheless. I mean, come on. Give the it? guy a break. Big play in a Super Bowl, by the way, for Sammy Watkins. Yeah. Big comeback. He started dominating there late in the season. And he's first-round draft pick, obviously, very fast. But, I mean, that'd be a lot to just be like, yeah, bad one, good one. Let me keep that one. Come on in. Richard Sherman. Well, leave us out of here. Did they ask him about, like, the coronavirus? Like, does he have any insight on when this thing might open up a little bit? This was a week after the Super Bowl, so I think this was potentially prior to coronavirus. But I He would, knew about it. He obviously already knew about it. I don't know if he could tell the future. I think he could just, you know, figures out spirits. But I would like to talk to Sammy Watkins about said spirits that are potentially bouncing around my fucking ass because what a incredible, legendary, ridiculous group of spirits that's probably is that's bouncing around when something like this comes out our teams do you think like what the fuck is going on oh yeah look for him to sign only at places that know him and like (laughs) places that have already worked with him Mm -hmm. who because by the way i mean there's people that wouldn't sign me because i tweeted right i mean that's something that if if somebody doesn't fully understand something they'd rather stay away from it as opposed to deal with it and in the football world any distraction can help it uh, make it even harder to win a game because it's not easier to win a game. So it'd have to be people that have already worked with Sammy Watkins that'd be like, hey, we know him. Yeah, he does this, but he's a good worker. He does this, and he's he's able to manage his spirits and work. But you're 100% right that some football guy that's been around, he says he's got spirit. The only spirit I want is team spirit. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a lot of that.
that still in the football world, but it would have to be people that he's been around. I assume this is why he retired, by the way. He got sick of explaining it or dealing with it, and then he came out, and then he's going back. It's like the Sammy Watkins, every single day, I couldn't imagine the mental battles that are going on, but I'm happy he's got through depression. He's on the other side of it as a success story. Well, what about, like, I want to read what his scouting report is. Like, when they have a, a scout that, that writes up a report on him, like, what's the, the prognosis? Does it, does it mention the spirit? Really fast. Really, really fast. The guy is really fast. Okay. Catches the ball very, very well. Uh, can run good routes. Seems to be a hard worker. Also, uh, wards off spirits. Okay, I'll just slip that one in there. Hey, the more you can do, right? <laughs> <laughs> Could be... An Angels in the outfield situation where the spirit picks him up and helps Ooh. him make catches. And, and by the way, so is that a, is that a PED? Uh, no. no, it'd be a PES. Yeah, <laughs> those aren't illegal yet. Nope. nope. Nobody knows anything about performance. Sammy probably stay quiet because they'll, they'll start testing for spirits. If Roger Goodell finds out that Sammy Watkins, my commissioner, if he finds out that Sammy Watkins had Angels in the outfield in that fucking Super Bowl game, Roger Goodell will do what's right, which is punish him and those spirits. And that is something you can have full faith in. Another thing you can have full faith in is Dave Portnoy pulling off one of the most genius things that ever happened on planet Earth with winning this man cave NFL auction all in thing to go and hang out with Roger Goodell, his M&Ms, his 30 year old chair that he sits in and watches Monday Night Football in Roger Goodell's basement. Dave Portnoy once again becomes an even bigger genius and spends 250 some thousand dollars on something that will live forever and now has Roger Goodell in a complete pretzel while Roger Goodell was figuring out the draft and if the season's coming back and all that stuff Dave was unboxing things day trading and figuring out a way to get into Roger Goodell's basement and it happened and now there is nothing Roger Goodell can do this is a quarter of a million dollar to a good cause Roger Goodell's in a full pretzel how's he going to handle it? if he does it it's going to Dave is going to make it it's going to be amazing. If he doesn't do it, Dave's going to say, well, he doesn't care about whoever he's donating the money to. If he tries to get out of it somehow, I mean, this is like checkmate almost between <laughs> yeah. Dave Portnoy and Roger Goodell. It is, but, like, okay, I want to know what the rules are going to be for Dave. You know the NFL and Roger are try, going to try to say, like, no video equipment, you can't film all this, maybe a couple still shots just to prove you are here, but don't you think Dave wants to roll in with a, a camera oh, yeah. crew and, and document the whole thing? You know those pins cameras that we were talking about? Yes. <laughs> Dave <laughs> Dave will get content out of this. I mean, you got to remember, him and Roger Goodell, he's been arrested because of his relationship with Roger Goodell. He bought an entire stadium thousand shirts because of Roger Goodell. He got dragged out of the Super Bowl in disguise because of Roger Goodell. And now he's sitting, and we've all been in Roger Goodell's basement. Uh -huh. We've been in there. We spent an entire weekend, and Dave's just going to be sitting there with his clown shirt on, I'd assume. And then, oh, my God. Oh, my God, it's brilliant. What if he comes away from it and he really likes Roger? Like A lot of times it's easy to, no, to hate way, from afar, but I then you Roger, run into him and you meet him and you like him. I think, I think Roger will really like Dave. I do too. What if Dave really likes Rog? What if they just come accountability buddies Best on the house? <laughs> you know, the next generation <laughs> of NFL. That'd be awesome. Then, like the following weekend, Dave's down there again, tweeting out pictures, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, I didn't have to pay for this one. We're just buds." Just told me to bring M and M's. <laughs> <laughs> we can watch NFL football because Rog won't let us watch college or XFL or anything else. <laughs> it's brilliant, man. It's absolutely brilliant. Two hundred and fifty k. Hey, it's it's, got, it's a write off. 
257,000, I think, is the total number. Yeah, you can write that Who out. was bidding against him? Like, what other individual was going to bid $250,000? Roger is what I thought. I thought Roger Goodell would be bidding against Dave in this type of thing. I honest, And then he would have been able to say, oh, the person wanted to respect their privacy. They would have figured out a way. But I don't even think Roger knew about it. And I feel like Dave even gave him a heads up. Like, hey, I am currently in the lead of this auction. If you would like to do something about this, that'd be great. And it, Roger Goodell was so focused because he's my commissioner. He's so focused on the task at hand, you know. He's focused on getting the draft off, the season, all that stuff. My commissioner, he didn't even notice. Like, oh, you got a guy coming right into your barracks, bub. I, I just need to let you know that. What would you do if Roger Goodell just has a fight club down there waiting for Dave? Oh. Roger Goodell, by the way, <laughs> we've seen him shoulder bump 300-pound oh, yeah. dudes yeah. who are he's half not his small. age. Roger Goodell is not a small he guy. puts him in an arm bump. <laughs> hey, that's the only way, like, Roger could turn everything around if he – Roger has his own film crew. Dave shows up. Roger's wearing like a gi. He's all of a sudden he's a, a black belt in jujitsu. He's like, all right, Dave, trust me. I know I don't acknowledge you publicly, but I've seen this. I've seen what you do, and I've had enough of it. Let's go. And he cha he like challenges him oh. to a duel. I think Dave or somebody around Dave was calling him Hitler at one point. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> How did this happen? How did the NFL let Dave get this? Dave's Great genius. Question. And Dave has the balls to go in there and do it. And oh, perform. Like, he'll walk he's not going to shy away way. once he gets there. If they say that he can't bring anybody, he will walk his ass in there alone. I mean, he is with savage. nine pinhole cameras attached to his body because he knows they're going to have guys wanting him looking for, for electronic devices. <laughs> the video of them pulling cameras. Okay, <laughs> 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 big news. Really big fucking news we got to talk about. <laughs> I don't want to do it, but I have to. Whenever you talk about this serious of news, too, you got to really be delicate. Mm -hmm. Cooper Cup <laughs> is going back to the number 10. Okay? His football career started with the number one. Great number. Good choice. Then he goes to number 10. Then he goes to 18. What? He is coming back home to number 10. In a strongly written letter, an emotional read about him going back to the number 10. Is that his logo, his personal logo oh, at yeah. the top? Oh, yeah. Brand, man. It's all about the brand. It's all about it. your brand. Cooper Cup, wide receiver, Alabama, Rams, now going back to number 10. It seems like they're making everybody take cuts out there. He had to cut eight off of his number so that they can get into the season. They have a new stadium. They got a whole new squad. Cooper Cup going from 18 to 10 immediately makes the Rams a threat in the NFC once again. People forget that when you're wearing 18, they're expecting you to be like Peyton Manning. Mm -hmm. They're expecting you to maybe be a little bit less athletic. And you're already a Caucasian wide receiver. So you go to number 10. Now everybody's waiting on you. Now the defense is shifting to his side, which is going to open up other players. This is Cooper Cup deciding, I'm going to be a little bit more of a distraction this year. I'm going to look much more athletic in the number 10. Like Tyreek Hill, for instance, mm. I'm going to open it up for everybody else because we lost Gurley. We don't even really have a stadium yet. We haven't paid Clay Matthews. We're in a little bit of a struggle. Let me go to number 10, take the attention away, and we'll be right back in the Super Bowl. Shout out to Cooper Cup being a real legend and a hero to the Los Angeles Rams. Rams who need one at this particular time I mean you said it you so well yeah it's a it's a beautiful thing what he's doing it's, I'm glad he he let us know too because if all of a sudden we just look up like you go on a website and it shows a uh, depth chart and you see Cooper Cup number 10 you're like wait what, the what? Fuck happened? who's whoa, that whoa. Is it, did what? Cooper no Cup die is that Chris Cup what are we doing here yeah you don't know so I'm glad somebody in his camp got to him was like hey you can't just drop this on the American no. public you have to type something up 
Is that you have 10? to put something out and let everybody know why this huge change just happened. I agree. If you would have told me Cooper Cup was number 10 one day ago, I would have said, you're fucking right. <laughs> That's, I apologize, Cooper Cup. I need to pay attention a little bit more. Has he been hurt, though, a little bit? He's yeah, like very good, was, yeah. but he got hurt. He's, he's yeah. very, very he is. good. He's very good. He's a huge asset to the team. But the question is, uh, Pat, I almost called you Dave because we're talking about Portnoy. For so much, I'm still just thinking of him. Smart, the video of them pulling out random small pinhole cameras off his body. Out I, of I can't pocket. wait. I can't wait to watch it play out. Have you ever seen that video where that one guy walk walks out of a store or something? And he has like 15 guns on him. Oh yeah. He like pulls out the shotgun out of his crotch and like uh, he has like a, a maybe a 50 cal comes out. He has like a flannel and like <laughs> he starts pulling out pistols and yeah. Uzi. That's what Dave's gonna be like with cameras going in there. They're gonna be like searching. Be like, well, get the tripod out of the way. Here we go. <laughs> Do you uh, think uh, Cooper? Cup was watching the show and saw the coverage that Cole Beasley got for switching numbers and was like, bingo, that's how I get back. You want to trend real quick in the sports world? Change your number. Does anybody think it matters? Absolutely not. But hey, only thing to talk about whenever there's no world of sports aside from Korean baseball, which I'm already done with, still gambling on, but done with it, and human cockfighting. So I think this is a good move by Cooper Cup. Get the logo out there, by the way. Have we yeah. ever seen that logo before? No, have not. No. Have wow. not. And now we know he's number 10. Get the jerseys. Maybe it's a real Hey, who's jersey. next? That's the question. Who changes their number next? Amendola? Edelman? Who, who does it? Ooh. Staying in the same vein of what oh, Cooper does Cup, feel like Cole Caucasian, Beasley, slot receivers. Yeah. White wide receiver. Caucasian wide receivers are changing. Probably that kid for the Cardinals last year. Well, Andy Isabella. Andy oh, who's Isabella. the dude from the Raiders? Uh, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro. Oh, yeah. It's a good, good, good pick. So Hunter Renfro that changes number within an Hunter should change it. That'd be insane. Gruden's not going to let that fly. No. Well, Gruden will understand. Gruden sees all these other uh, white wide receivers changing their number. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. Got to do it, man. He'll be in for it, I think. Um, there's a human cockfighting event tomorrow night. Is there any fights in there we should be know about as our MMA expert? Uh, this one came came up quick, didn't it? After the, the barn <laughs> burner we had Saturday. I think Anthony Smith is fighting on this one. He's a monster. Who? Anthony Smith is his name. He's a monster. Big dude. He fought John Jones. Got beat by John Jones, but he's still a stud. Dana White's like, listen, I pulled one off. Now it's time. Let's put another one up and another Dana one. has like 42 fights he has to put on as part of the ESPN deal, so he's going to be putting on fights every three days now. But thank you, Mr. Dana White. I hope it's safe health-wise and all that stuff, but gives us something to potentially talk about if somebody stands right down the center of an opponent no. and lets them wail five to six <laughs> haymakers at them. I mean, that'll give us something to talk about for what, a good five, ten minutes if we have to. NASCAR's back too. Don't they have a race this weekend? Who cares? Who cares? Oh, I forgot. You're on the outs with the NASCAR people from the comment about the guy during the race online who may have said something and then continued the race and finished it. He didn't may have. Excuse me? Pretty clearly. Well, I think it was beeped when I heard it, so I don't know what exactly the beeped. Your Ohio is showing, AJ. Oh, wow. (laughs) Boston just said that. My Ohio. What does that mean? Boston just said that. (laughs) Anyways. I'm happy NASCAR's back. Okay, that'll be good for you. Daytona? No, don't care. Talladega. Talladega's another one. Maybe Texas Motor Speedway. You like that guy? What's his name? Ricky Bobby? No, the guy sings that song. He's got the sunglasses. Who sings it? Is it Eric Church? Eric Church. You like Eric Church? I don't really know much about country. I thought you would be a music guy. I'm I'm 
somewhat of a music guy. I'm not a not a huge country fan right oh, now. Oh yeah, you like Brett Michaels and the Guns and Roses and the Sticks. I like the hits. Play the hits, dude. Play the hits, man. I don't need to hear some underground garbage that you think this person's gonna blow up in 14 years. Like I like the hits. Play piano, man. What about the new Six Nine? Takashi Six Nine. Oh. Hey, everybody's mad. What you're upset because I got five million live views? <laughs> Two million. Still very impressive. And his new song is one of the most poorly written songs of all time. But boy, that beat in the background is an absolute mm-hmm. heater. Your kids listen to Takashi? No, nah, not a whole lot. Not yet. Maybe, maybe in a year or two we'll get into. You want to hear what the opening line is? Yeah. Something, something, Dick Rider. <laughs> <laughs> He had to move, though, right? Because he took a selfie and his neighbor saw him. They exposed him. If your kid isn't a fan of Takashi 69 yet, it's going to take a couple years. I, unfortunately, <laughs> not 100% sure Mr. 69 will be around. Now, there seems to be quite a struggle going on from the 69 fans to all the people that believe he's going to get murdered quickly on the internet currently. But it feels like there are some people who are not happy that old 6ix9ine is out and about. And I don't know enough about the street code and uh, the gangs and things of that nature. But it feels like the people who are saying that he's going to die have potentially been a part of killing people before. Man, like uh, the confidence that that dude had in that video, too, like in his stream. I'm like, geez, like if he truly has that much confidence or maybe he's a little delusional on the situation he is in. Like, man, I, I guess I give you credit for feeling that safe when it doesn't seem like he's in a great spot right now. Well, I mean, Takashi knows more than we do about Takashi's situation. Yeah. Uh, but all you got to know is, are you dumb, stupid, or dumb? Huh? <laughs> uh, let's move on. Mark Cuban did not say he wants the NBA season <laughs> scrapped. I would like to type you know. Mark Cuban did not say he wants the NBA season scrapped, but Barkley and Shaq certainly did. Mark Cuban and I had a little bit of an exchange this morning on the internet. FYI, he dropped a for your information, Pat. I didn't say I want the season scrapped. Thank you very much, even though Charles Barkley and Shaq did. I apologize for misquoting Mark Cuban then and now. It seems like Mark Cuban, Adam Silver, and a lot of people that are in power are like, hey, we want to make this happen. We just have to wait until it's the safest to make happen. But Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal are very much out on it. They said the asterisks will be too big. It won't be a real championship. In my eyes, I think it'll be even bigger. I think you'll be able to brag that you won the first ever NBA March Madness setup, kind of like a bracket tournament which is awesome for everybody but how do you deal with free agency and going to a different teams and all that type of stuff i'm just not sure and i think that's what shaq charles barkley aside from the dangers of it all are also thinking about from the business side for the players so mark cuban you lumped him in with was it shaq and barkley oh yeah and he so he caught wind of this online and and reached out to you on twitter and said he didn't want that, so why doesn't he? We need to get him on the show. Oh, believe me, there's a lot of tweets under there saying, call in, call in, call in. If you were able to scroll down here, because this graphic was put together beautifully here, but right below that, there's about 200 call ins, call ins, call ins. And if we get him, I mean, I'm all about it, about it. And I think we got some things to discuss, like potentially him running for president, which I also addressed in that video. Uh, I'll be excited to see if he ends up doing that. But maybe Mark Cuban, Pittsburgh guy, goes to Indiana, creates the internet basically, gets rich, buys teams. He and I, similar paths. Uh, but, yeah, we have to have him on to clear it all up. Yeah, we do, man. I, that's 
Hopefully, he seems like he goes all over the place. Like he's not scared to to go on any kind of show. By the way, that would be rewarding bad behavior if he was to come on the show for that. And I would just start misquoting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did your initial tweet or video say about Cuban? I said that the three basically most important faces of basketball in our society, Shaq, Charles Barkley, and Mark Cuban. I think those are three of the, what, top five most important faces of basketball Mm -hmm. to the grand masses, I would believe. If they've all come out and said the season should be scrapped, they probably know something we don't know and probably means this isn't going to happen even though we have a lot of optimism. Turns out Mark Cuban, who is in the council that's talking to said president about stuff and a part of that whole committee of bringing back sports and also an owner of the NBA was like, no, no, I did not say I want the season scrapped. I just say I want it healthy, which brings me back to the optimist thing. It's like, okay, maybe this is happening then. So I want from um, basically thinking that there was no chance the most awesome NBA thing ever was going to happen to back on board of thinking, hey, this might fucking happen. All from one tweet, 10 words from Mark Cuban. So you're saying if he came on the show, he would be rewarding your bad behavior as in you reporting something that he didn't say. Yeah, because he would be coming on the show strictly because I misquoted him. And he never came on the show before. And that would give you more reason to misquote people in the future to hopefully yep. they respond to you. Hopefully they come on the show. You see, we don't have any more bookers. So if we get Mark Cuban by misquoting him, it's like, okay, who do we misquote next? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Jordan. It's like we talked about this yesterday with Tom Brady. They, they reported that he had a deteriorating relationship with Josh McDaniels. And I think I even said, like, well, who told this reporter that? Like, what, who is your source? Obviously, you don't give your sources up. It could have been anybody to say this, and then Tom instantly comes back and what puts on a goes on Instagram and says absolutely not, like we're brothers for life. Yeah, please stop with this nonsense. Please be more responsible. Nineteen years together and brothers for life at real underscore Josh underscore McD. And I just learned that Josh McDaniels has an Instagram. Is it private? Uh, I just learned that Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels get along after nineteen years, which is. Pretty fantastic. That's great to hear. And I just learned that what I've always thought, anonymous sources is a bunch of bullshit. Okay, And I, I know that for the protection of some people, it needs to happen in worlds outside of sports. But in sports, if somebody doesn't put their name on it, it should not be trusted. We've told a story on here where we've been asked to go off the record and talk about something. And I've actually said, I've said, no, I'm not going to do that. If I say something, I'd like you to put my name on it. I think there are so many narratives that can get pushed by an anonymous source. And I'm just talking about it in a sports world. I, I don't think it should be allowed in reporting, but it's a massive part of reporting because these sources can only give up information if nobody knows who the fuck it is because they'll get fired from the job and they'll no longer have that information. So it's like a, it's a double-edged sword. But it's very frustrating to hear a person named Anonymous ruin so many fucking uh, 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 reputations. Anonymous sources have ruined a lot of people's reputations, and nobody has a clue who they are. According to my sources, Schefter is great at what he does. We learn a lot from Adam Schefter and a lot from Rappaport and Woj and all that stuff. But, man, there's a lot of things that just go unnoticed, and they're completely out of pocket, and Anonymous sources is one of them. Yeah, I understand why they're there, and they... Like there's, uh, yeah, for these reporters to get any kind of information, there's people all over the place within every team in the NFL, especially if you want to narrow it down, that they're willing to speak, but they can't put their name on it because then they know their bosses would kill them, the players would find it. Like, yeah, I get it, but you're right. Like you can really, like one anonymous source, 
like most guys, like a chef, like all these people, those are those are like credible guys, though. Like everyone knows, like they have they've been doing it for a long time. They have credibility, but they all have somebody or multiple people at each team that they call and talk to all the time just to kind of see what's going on. But if you have one, like let's say uh, a starting quarterback on a team has a poor relationship with some guy in the front office, and that front office guy is one of the main anonymous sources, like they could paint a narrative on this quarterback that looks really, really bad, all coming from like two people. It's they crazy. do it before the draft every year. I mean, they did it to two of this year. Mm-hmm. According to sources, he's not healthy. He's failed physicals. They're, they're not sure if he's smart. Enough. Like the, All these things started coming out. It's like, come on, dude. Come on. Come on. Come on. It's always, I mean, there's no way it's going to continue to happen. Though. Has to, because the, the information that we need to survive, even this show, has to come from a place where people can't say yeah. anything. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. although I completely hate it, it's, it has to happen. Well, I us. use, I guess, to be, to be fair to all these people, I use our, I mentioned all the time, our anonymous scout friend that we talk to. Oh, yeah. True. I've never said it, but you have, yeah. 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 By the way, if I just want to say something and kind of get a feel for it, I always say people are saying. <laughs> There's a little kayfabe break mm-hmm. for everybody. Allegedly. Dick's you just got to say allegedly. Well, I say allegedly for things that allegedly happened, and one person has a story and the other hasn't been heard as much as the other person. So that's why I say allegedly. Like, for instance, the Indianapolis Police Department with the alleged swimming incident that made it go viral. If I'm just walking down the street shirtless, probably not as big as, oh, drunk punter swims waist. Does cannonball into yeah. the canal. Yeah. Does can opener. <laughs> Well, allegedly, it's just a way to protect yourself legally. It's the best word of all time. I, I did an entire stand-up bit about it. You can, there can be somebody on camera doing something, and their lawyer will come out and say, he is alleged to have blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't know what the still frames and the cut rate of those cameras. Like, there's always some way. Allegedly is the best word of all time, for sure. You're 100% right. But this isn't that. This is uh, anonymous. Yeah, so do you think now, whoever that writer was that Tom went back at and said, like, be more responsible with your reporting... Does that guy lose credibility? What was his name? Greg something? Was no it? idea. Pete Meyer? Something no. Meyer? Gary Myers. Gary. Gary was the guy. At Yahoo? Well, by the way, we found out Yahoo still exists when we had Charles Robinson a couple weeks ago, who's a senior NFL writer. Did not know that that thing still existed. Good for Yahoo, by the way. Still chugging along. No longer a search engine, but we'll do to sports. Well, if this Greg Myers guy or whatever his name is that said this about Tom and, and McDaniels, if he really is confident, then he should come out and he, and talk to his source. Like, hey, man, like my credibility is at stake here. Can I? I need to be able to quote you. Can I use your name to at least let people know? Like, hey, I got this from somebody on the inside. Never be able to do it. And by the especially way, I think people the, float, especially not the Patriots. People float f- fake stories to those media guys too, just to try to get them in a in a pickle. You know what I mean? Just trying to trying to bury them a little bit. Yeah, it happens. Um, Johnny Manziel slipped and fell off a cliff. I saw this. <laughs> Not rock bottom. He, you know, he did it. His athleticism saved him. His one foot slipped. He found a way, I think, to get his right foot to get enough push just to get him away from the rocks. Yeah. He. By the way, probably biggest fear there when you're sitting on top of a cliff is slipping, right? I mean, that's while he was falling there, there was a lot of oh shits happening. Oh no, oh no, oh no. But you're right. Athlete left foot pushes him out there. Almost does a back dive. I think he landed on his face a little bit. Uh, but I respect the fact that he was going up there to do a backflip. I'm a big fan of Johnny Manziel stepping up there to do a backflip because there are some other NFL players that would be scared to death to jump off of something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My the only question I have is why in the world does he have a hat on? 
when he's not? jumping off a 30-foot cliff. Well, we don't know how those peaks are going. It's quarantine. Haven't had a haircut. Obviously, barbershops are closed. But you know you're going to lose it when you hit the water. Yeah, but then you come back up like a sniper or like a Navy SEAL and put your head in the hat. Ooh. You know what I mean? He goes under and then he finds it. He finds it, finds it, and then he pops up with it right back on his head. Would be sweet. Would yeah. be sweet. But instead he slipped, fell, lost it, had to pick it back up, and he's still alive. Good for Johnny Manziel. Hopefully he posts another video when he actually completes the backflip. You think it's going to be a slow like backflip where he goes feet first? Or is he going to yeah. try to do a couple? Or oh, a double? It's got to be a slow backflip. And that's the hard thing is going slow with it and being patient so you don't over, over rotate and smack your face or smack your back. That's right. It's like swanton bomb, but backwards. Is there enough mm-hmm. time there, you think, for a double backflip? Well, do you follow any of these extreme walkers on fucking Instagram, these parkour guys? Oh, yeah, the parkours, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's my new favorite rabbit hole of Instagram, these people that do these insane flips. Parkour! They've been doing parkour. Double front flips, <laughs> double back flips. I mean, the shit that I never thought was possible. These little human, they look like, look like little gerbils flying around. <laughs> they, 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 they fly, these dudes. The, the Instagram accounts are insane. And they do the dumbest, the dumbest shit. For, I mean, just jumping off of buildings onto other buildings, flipping from building to building. This is a pretty boring one. But. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> See, you have they have like you know they have like parkour gyms now where you could take your kids to do like oh an hour of training in parkour. Those dudes are awesome. There's a house yeah. out. There's a couple houses out in Hollywood where these dudes go trampoline, double flip, swanton onto the roof of a house, dive, triple, double, McTwisty into a pool. <laughs> I mean, it is just never end. And then they do this one thing. I think I've talked to you about it. Where they sprint, jump. They use their hands like this off of something, and then they do a back flip. It is insanity what these humans are doing. Oh, they're unbelievable. Those guys, and then sometimes I get caught in the trap of watching the dudes that climb the super high cranes, like hang off one-handed and stuff. Those guys. Can't do that. Why are they doing it? For the views, I guess. I don't know. Did you see that one where that girl was at the top of that tippy top and they mm -hmm. had like a GoPro going around her or whatever? She was like hanging off? Yeah, she was upside. I think she was doing like a one-armed handstand thingy. These humans... I mean, I appreciate what they're doing. I mean, when I'm taking a shit, I like watching it. I think that's what... Are they thinking that? Like, hey, probably. there's going to be a guy who's a little bit... He's 33 years old. He's Jesus Christ's age. He's a little bit portly. And every morning, he takes a pretty massive dump. And when he's doing that, <laughs> he's going to watch us dive and sit at the edge of buildings for absolutely no reason. That's what I do in the morning. That's Look at this guy. I mean... Why would you ever think about doing that? Did you see that little front roll thing he did? Look oh, at this. Oh, God. I'd... No. Parkour, parkour. Think about the maniac that's standing there with the sky cam. It's Mike Glennon. <laughs> <laughs> From the floor. Yeah, he's on the ground, though. <laughs> you guys need to help up here? Oh, my God. I mean, how many people have fallen? Now, like, especially with social media, and this is a thing now, and there's oh, people my God. getting into get that. Anxiety. Where are those videos? Well, I know someone recently fell and died yeah. doing that yeah. in like Russia or something it's like that. Happen. Oh yeah. I mean it's a safe bet you're going to die if you fall off one of those. That is a part of the occupation. Just put a strap a parachute to yourself and if you're high enough it's like going base jumping. Uh, I want to put a squirrel suit on before I die by the way. I want to put a squirrel suit on and do the whole thing. Oh. You know what I mean? Those like are fly awesome through too. canyons and Difficult. stuff. Like the parkour dudes, do a lot of them do that, by the way. They put on those squirrel suits and they just fucking fly 
out of nowhere. Yeah, and then they that guy just that flipped. guy just did a backflip off the yeah. This is Gainer. Gainer. <laughs> oh. There's dudes that go off of trucks too. There was a guy the other day that went off of a moving truck off of a bridge. Mm-hmm. So he was on the roof of like a U-Haul truck or whatever. Yeah. They drove by and he sprinted off the top of it and hit a gainer flip thing. I mean, we have maniacs walking amongst us, and I I I, I thank them for their lunacy. Have you seen Free Solo? Oh yeah, oh. that guy's got the strongest fingers I Alex, have. Yeah, Alex Honnold, he just free climbs that thing with no ropes. How how long do you like living in a fucking Volkswagen van and doing that? He has something where he has to potentially die to feel anything, right? I think that was kind of my takeaway of Free Solo is he had that he had something in him where he had to feel as if there was a chance he was going to fall to his death to kind of get any emotion. I, I think uh, now that's yeah. an insane trait to have, by the way. But yet again, another person, I'm thankful that their brain is the way it is because watching that free solo, I mean, knees weak, palms are sweaty, vomit on a sweater already, mom's, mom's spaghetti. spaghetti. He was nervous, but on the surface, I looked calm and ready to puke because that guy was on <laughs> top of these mountains and ledges doing absolutely anything. That... That guy's a maniac. Yeah. But his fingers have to be so strong. I mean, he was like in a little crab. He put a little chalk on that thing. Mm-hmm. And he put his little fingers in there, and then he fucking Spider-Man his way up a crack. How about the film crew, though, that was filming him, too? Those guys are, are crazy, too. Nowadays, drones could probably do all that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I assume so. They say, like, he's missing the part in his brain that, like, uh, functions fear. for fear. Yeah, exactly. So, like, he doesn't have any fear whatsoever. So like doing that is That's just a hell like of a, a superpower, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, die another day. Huh? He seems to not really need a whole lot of social interaction either. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You're out in the middle of nowhere just staring at a rock. When he has a girlfriend, he has in that documentary too with him. And normal he, human. He's awesome. He's so checked out most of the time. I mean, a lot of your buddies too are also doing the same thing. So you know. and dead. Yeah, exactly. So not, not yeah, too like many all of his friends are dead or whatever. Yeah. I watched. Well, yeah, the the one climber, one famous climber died. Another famous climber came in who was good friends with him and married the widow. Really? Well, you got to be a part of that yeah. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Almost like a Hunter Biden situation when he didn't marry his brother's widow, but he was with her for a while. Well, and Dog the Bounty Hunter. He yeah. also tried to. Yep. Yeah. Get he did. He married, he married that lady, right? I don't know. Maybe he's engaged to Beth's sister. I'm not sure. He tried. He gave it what? a go. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know if it's her sister, but he's. I think he's married to somebody, and he says she helps him through his grief now that his wife died. Well, he was. I think that was at the time Beth's sister. Yeah, related to Beth in some way. I might not have been following along close enough to Dog the Bounty Hunter's Love Life, but I think that same thing happened. I was watching a movie called, uh, I forget what it's called. It's a documentary about the squirrel suit guys, about girls that uh, dudes that put on a squirrel suit and jump. And one of the humans in the movie died before the ending of the taping. Mm-hmm. I think like those guys died a, scene a lot. Like, I'm well, shocked. Those guys are nutty. Oh, no. <laughs> that boy Z. That boy Z with the dinger. I want to let you know, in 13 minutes, the Blue Angels are flying over this building right here. Right over top of you? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully they'll knock off these fucking construction guys <laughs> that have been banging on the roof for the last two weeks. How many are going to fly over, do you know? I'm going to assume it's going to be a five-plane set. Flying V with the one up in the front. Standard. And two winging on each side. I'm going to go seven. Seven? Seven? I'm guessing oh, six. Yeah. You're out of your mind. You guy, well, it's though. definitely not six. Flying V one. with one in the middle. One behind the guy at the point. I think oh, four. so you think a plane. So like bingo, bango. <laughs> you bingo, think jet plane bango. flying in the rip yeah. of the other. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm fucking washed, dude. You washed out. Oh, my God. Just wait. You'll see it. 
idiot. Not even Mav could save that plane. By the way, I think I'm going to give a motivational speech beforehand, and then we're going to cut up, and the Blue Angels are going to be flying over. That'll be awesome, man. I went up with them. They're pretty impressive. What? Yeah, I went up with them probably five, six years ago with Blue Angels, and then I went up oh. with the Thunderbirds a couple years ago. Is that when you threw up? Did you puke all over? Puked many, many times, both rides. What do you do? So you just sit there. It's a double cockpit, and you're – do you go through a course before you get up there? Yeah, with Blue Angels, you don't wear the G-suit. So it's just you kind of wear a little flight suit, zip it up. And they – yeah, they tell you what to do. Like I think it's called kipping on how to breathe to try to push the blood back up to your brain because of the G's, they force the blood out of your brain. So you do this whole thing. And then you get it? up there, and it doesn't matter. You're sick as balls in the heat of it. You try it, and then bah, you flicker in and out, and, uh, puke again, tie it off, put it in my pocket. Oh, he does another maneuver. Oh, we just pulled seven Gs. I puked a million times, and I get out of the plane, and there's local media, and I have to sit there and do interviews. Ghost white with puke stuck in my pocket. <laughs> I did that for the Blue Angels, and then two years later with the Thunderbirds. And it was awesome. I enjoyed it. How are those interviews? Those have to be. I have to see them. Those have to be. So bad. I can't. I, like, I was like, real, right now? Like, Because as they're taxiing back, they use it just as a promotional tool for the air show, usually, that's coming or for whatever. And I, as we're like taxing in, I was so thankful to be on the ground after being up for 45 minutes and being sick for 44 of those 45. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there so sweaty, jammed in. And I look over and I can see like local TV <laughs> news cameras like, hey, you just, they just want you to do a couple interviews quick. I'm like, like, can I go change? Can I do anything? That was before we took off. So I'm looking much better there. Were you scared to death whenever you're about to take off? Did you know what was about to happen? You knew you're about to puke everywhere. Well, I was. I, so I told him, like, there's people that go in and they act all tough. Like, oh, okay, I'm not going to pass out. I'm not going to get sick. And the first thing I said both times, I'm like, hey, man, I get car sick in the back seat. Like, so <laughs> I'm going to puke bad. And he's like, oh, no, we got some techniques to help you. You know, find the horizon. Okay. That goes out the window <laughs> four seconds in. What was the breathing exercise? You try to, like, oh, man, I can't even describe it. I forget. Like, I know the second time like, with – the Thunderbirds, you wear a G suit that helps squeeze, like it inflates with air with more G's that you take on, and it's supposed to like help push blood to your head. And for me, I feel like it made me puke quicker because it just kept squeezing on my chest and stomach area and the, uh, trying to find my bag as I'm trying to do the kipping breathing techniques. And then I just started. I remember I, we were trying to. He was trying to do a maneuver and pull however many G's. And he's like, "All right, here we go." And he counts it down. They're all the, the pilots are unbelievable. The dudes are so amazing. And I remember starting it with the Thunderbirds the second time. He's like starting the thing. I would start to do the breathing, whatever. And then I just started yelling. Ah! And then I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was out for like a, a split second. I remember like out and I popped. I'm like, what? Ah! And I like forgot where I went. Did I go out? I don't, I'm not out, right? I didn't go. And he's like, he's kind of laughing. He's like, ah, you may have flickered a little bit. <laughs> well, they're just trying to fuck you up too. Yeah, that's their job. Yeah, that's all they're doing. And um, I was asked to do the Red Bull one because they do those Red Bull uh, air race here oh, yeah. in Indianapolis, which, by the way, late night watching, pretty good to watch those little things. Just, oh, they yeah. look like little insects in the sky. And they asked me if I would do one to promote it was coming, and I said, absolutely not. They call it a G-Ride. That would make me so sick, especially when those guys, they fly in and out of, like, the obstacles in the air, the, and they just shoot, like, so those super quick maneuvers. They do everything. Like, when I was up there, like the, the vertical takeoff or whatever where they, they hover right above the, the runway and then just shoom, straight up in the air and then they twirl and you see through the cockpit like the, the ground beneath you in the airport and I'm like, all right, I don't know what way is up now. And they, I'd, 
I didn't realize what way was up until I got down and we landed 45 minutes later. Think about dudes, dudes and ladies do that every single day. They're flying the plane. That's what I, I'm like, wait, this dude's controlling this whole situation. How in the world does this happen? He's asking for it. All right, let's go straight up as fucking high as we can. Let's touch space this time. We got fucking big chinned AJ Hawk back here. Keep it going. Is he out yet? He's starting to get there and he's out. Let's go back down. I mean, that's, that's insanity. You got humans out here. The squirrel suit folks, these extreme parkour people, mm -hmm. Blue Angels pilots. <laughs> I mean, there's people that free solo guys that, uh, and girls that climb these mountains. There's humans out there that just got different things in between the ears. They're like the human cockfighters. Yeah, they are. I remember asking him, like, man, how do you guys do this and not get sick? Like, did you, you just always been like this? Like, well, you know, we go through a bunch of training and I got sick a little bit early on. Every once in a while, you can get sick. But no, nah, it's not too bad for us. I'm like, I don't know. If I did this for 30 straight years, I would puke every single flight. Yeah, I feel like it's like the people who chew tobacco. What? Like the first time, everybody says that chews tobacco. They said the first time they did it, they got sick. The second time they did it, they got sick. The third time they did it, they got sick. But then they fought through it. I have tried chewing tobacco every single training camp I've ever been a part of. And I get sick and I go, I'm never fucking doing that again. And then one year later, I try it out. I have a couple of beers. Maybe I'm feeling a little intoxicated. Hey, Pat, you're going to do, you're going to chew? Yeah, give me that thing. I start packing it in there. I put it in there. And what, two minutes later? <laughs> and then you're like trying to dump it out of the thing. And they say, yeah, that's normal. You just got to power through that. It's nice to know that that's what Blue Angels are like. Yeah, I've never tried dip strictly for that really? reason because yeah, I've watched. Right. Yeah, right. Maybe. Training camp? What's that? Training camp, it never was just like. No, because that's training camp is where starting in college is where I got to watch firsthand guys try dip for the first time and you watch them just go white start sweating feel awful i'm like no i don't really i don't want to deal with that like never why would once. i try it you never tried it once never, never. Tried it. i never have no i'm i'm scared of it first off i'm scared i would like it a lot and i don't want to puke on my first try i guess people really love this whole <laughs> this whole feel about having a big old lip ring bigger it is the better by the way other people that chew tink they would respect it the bigger it gets and to be honest, like I'm starting to lose feeling in my lip, and maybe uh, I can't brush my teeth anymore. But I'll tell you what, this buzz I get for about a minute, minute and a half now because I've been chewing for so long is certainly fucking worth it. <laughs> what is it now, though? I literally what? just spit <laughs> while No, yeah, I haven't gotten a buzz in years either. That's the that's the problem. But you have to do it. Oh yeah. But Ty, isn't it like the it's it's about isn't there times of the day that you have to have it, or you're driving in a long car ride and stuff like that? Yeah, so every point of the day. When that's you're pooping the, in the shower, so, so every on a point road of the day, trip, you're every trying single to not hour, watching movies, crushing dinner, crushing beers, chewing cope. I'm a winner. That was the Coping Heathens. They were a band from our high school, and it was uh, Ten Thousand Reasons to Cope" or something like that. Is the name of that song? They love Copenhagen. Huh? We used to have like what's. I wonder what it's like now. Can kids dip in high school? They shouldn't. Oh, it's yeah. the worst no. fucking drug. I don't know how. It's awful. But we used to have kids get suspended and stuff if they got caught dipping. Yeah, you get pouches. It's fine. A lot it's, of states have been raising it to twenty one now. They should. Well, what about like snus and all that? There's all this stuff where you don't have to spit anymore. Snus is nice. It's the worst. I don't know why. It's the absolute. It's worst. So hard to quit too. That's another thing that makes you like. Well, yeah, they get I have no reason to try. They get their hooks in you and you just got the same. By the way, I think it was the same people I tried chewing with each year. The same exact people. And they were mm. still chewing from the year before. They'd probably had 4,000, maybe 10,000 dips since the last mm -hmm. time I had tried one. And I puke. I can't. I've always said the only drug I've ever tried that hasn't been good to me, tobacco.
Well, they get the hooks in with the snus because that's the stuff that tastes good that you don't have to spit. And then eventually it's like, this isn't doing anything. Need to go up to the big leagues. And then you kind of just keep graduating. Winston-Salem, big home of tobacco down there. Mm -hmm. You should have seen their fight on the vapes. Whenever we went down there to call, who's down there? Wake Wake Forest. Forest. Wake Forest. When we went down there to call the Wake Forest game, they were having a town hall about how dangerous the vapes are. This is the home of tobacco. This is the home of tobacco, which has caused what? 40 million deaths probably, maybe even more north of that, having a town hall on how dangerous vapes are and we need to get them the hell out of our town. Yeah, there's a big like uh, conspiracy angle to all of that. That tobacco owns all of them? Well, yeah, like they're involved with vapes too. It's It, it had to do with, I don't know exactly what it was, but with the flavored vapes, they're trying to keep, like you can't put flavor to it because it makes young kids like, mm-hmm. like it. And the people with the vapes, obviously, they want to get young kids hooked early on when they're like in high school. So they love the flow. Oh, I got a great tobacco flavor. And then you, you have a client for life then. Yeah. I'm happy deal. I never got into tobacco. I mean, granted, you're completely addicted to nicotine with your cigar usage. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I go days. I go plenty of days when I don't smoke cigars, but I do enjoy them. Or are you just miserable those days? Tough to no, with? I'm not. But miserable. I mean, I. I don't, I'm not like, I'm not blind to it. Yeah, I enjoy it. Hmm. But if for, hmm. so, yeah, for some reason I had to completely quit, Blue I would. Blue Angels, Blue Angels. take it off like right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, wait, where are the, where's the airport? How far away from where you are? Not far. I'm not sure what airport. Hey, you know oh, what yeah, crazy yeah. too? I asked mm-hmm. them, so when they're flying from, they go all around the country and they put on shows and all that stuff. I was like, so like, what if you're flying from Ohio to California or whatever? How fast do you fly? Like, oh, we fly same as like a commercial jet. I'm like, so you're up in this tiny little cockpit for like five or six hours? And they say, oh, yeah, we have to get refueled in the air and everything while we're doing this. Oh, yeah, because they, they, they have that one plane that flies overhead that comes and drops its little male piece into the female piece, mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. a bong. And then they cipher, yeah. uh, siphon gas in from one plane to the next so they can keep going. Got to be ready for wartime. And there's people, by the way, that hate that these Blue Angels are doing this. As a uh, display, they got to fly anyways. These people have to practice in in the in the skies. At least doing it over Indianapolis, I think a lot of people will be like, "Hey, look at the fucking Blue Angels. Look at our guys up there, our mm-hmm. girls up there." It's a big morale booster, right? Well, I'm about to go give a speech while they fly overhead. We got to get out they're, there. Hey, they're doing it to for like the the nurses and the the first responders, right? Right, and they're doing it for us too. This has been a great McAfee and Hawk sports talk. The Blue, unless you want to just hang around, do you want to hang around for a couple minutes? Are you guys going out? Well, how, no, because you're gonna. It's not till two o five. I thought you got like four and a half minutes. It starts it, at two. We have no idea how long no, it's like, gonna take to get two here. They drew a full thing on top of our city and said, "Here's the layout. We're coming." It's a. It's You'll a, be able to hear them. Why don't you have Billy go stand there and, and you can see in the distance? You think we're or hear faster them. than a jet? Bro, they're flying. Yeah, you, they're, they're Dude, the fucking like eight hundred miles an hour. You've no, been I know, in the but they're not gonna before. be flying eight hundred miles an hour the whole time. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Hey, we'll see you Thursday. This has been a great McAfee and Hawk <laughs> sports talk. AJ, you're the best, pal. Thanks, pal. I just fucking heard oh. it. Oh. AJ, are you kidding me? Shut it off. Shut the music off. Did you miss him? Can hear him right They're now. hovering over oh, our I'm boat. They're flying. They're flying. Great show. Hey, go out and see the Blue Angels up there. Yeah, <laughs> Is that the fucking Blue Angels? <laughs> 
Ladies and gentlemen, when this guy announced a draft pick for the Philadelphia Eagles, the world was afire. This man once kicked a 63-yard field goal. He's on the All-Decade team. He was a member of the Eagles Hall of Fame, I believe. Six-time Pro Bowler. Six-time All-Pro. Legend from the Philadelphia Eagles. Lefty David Aker. And a boy, What's up, brother? How are you, man? Um, living life, living life in this corona life, right? Hey, I saw your son, Luke, hit a couple bombs this weekend. I think he was working out alongside Matt Overton. It looks like the next generation of Acres might be a better kicker than you, Dave. It doesn't take much to get better than me, though, Pat. You know, <laughs> let's be honest. But, uh, no, it was, it was funny. We were talking about you this weekend with Matt, and he's still slinging some pills as well, you know. But uh, it was good to be out there and kind of some normalcy again, training with some of the Vandy kickers and snappers there. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. I'm 5'9", and when I played, I played about 200 pounds, and now I weigh right around you know, 175. My son is almost 6'3", 190 pounds. I don't know who the father is, but maybe <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, that's for sure. Or at least get a little help financially for, for raising him. <laughs> He's going uh, UCLA, I believe, right? Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm sporting it now. I'm all in. You know, Chip Kelly, you know, came in early last year and started talking to him real early into the, uh, the summer with Derek Sage and, and, and Will Rod, which they actually have a kicking coach there, which is a little different in, in most colleges. You know, half those guys, as you know, have no idea. Oh, just keep your head down and follow through. They don't know what they're talking about. And it's been great to be able to kind of talk shop with these guys and understand that, in my opinion, they have it really going on with the sports science. I mean, I know we talked to Johnny D at times. He was saying it could have been over the top. But the way we went out there and felt – as far away as it is from our house here in Nashville, I couldn't be happier with the opportunity for him. He's just, he's excited. Now, if we can just get school started and college football started, you know? That would be all good. I mean, you and I are both too dumb to have that discussion. But what I would like, <laughs> what I would like to talk to you about was your time at Philadelphia. You were uh, one of those steadfast Eagles who every single year, we didn't know what was going to come out of Philadelphia, but we knew David Akers was going to be consistent. You rode through some waves back then, whenever Andy Reid was the coach and you're talking about the McNabb T.O. era you're talking about post that era you've been around for it all with Philadelphia when you look back on your career and career in Philly what sticks out to you most do you think oh the fans without a shadow of a doubt I mean the first off Philly changed my life you know from the from three teams before that said ah hell kid you're not good enough for any of this uh Andy Reid gave me an opportunity. John Harbaugh was my special teams coach for eight years. I mean, not only as a special teams coach, but a Super Bowl winning head coach. To be under that tutelage is, is quite impressive. The fans in Philly are just remarkable because if you kind of buy into their mentality, if you see what that family, meaning the small town of Philly, is, uh, they just suck you in. I mean, they really do. And it becomes part of the family. It's a big city with a small town feel and they love their football. They know what it's, what it's about. Uh, it's a blue collar mentality. The people that kind of buy in that way, they love them forever. And I, I can't thank them enough for the opportunity to play there for changing my life for 12 years. Let's talk about your position. Uh, a kicker is obviously a position that can be a target for a fan base if you happen to, you know, sure. stumble or miss it all. Was there any of those moments where Philadelphia was like, hey, uh, hey, bud, we like you, but we need you to maybe make some more kicks? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's just part of life. The way I think of it is playing a little poker, right? At times you're pulling in some chips to your side and occasionally you lose a hand or two, right? And <laughs> you kind of have to hear it. Whether you do really well, you take the highs. And if you don't do well, you take some of the lows, you take those hits. Probably, the, you know, if I, if I, I mean, completely transparent here, the, the two kicks that really just hit with me for, for sucking it up uh, was the the wild card game in 2011. It was the 2010 season. We were playing the Packers. Um, I went in. I missed two relatively makeable kicks. One was like a 42 yarder into it. It was a really windy day. We're not going to use those excuses. You got you know. Uh. I tried to bite it through the wind, uh. and it it cut right through. And I was like, well, son of a gun, I overplayed the, the shot. And then I missed a 34 yarder, which I should have hit in my sleep. We lost by five. Andy Reid said, you can do the math because two kicks, six points. There you have it. Uh, you know, it sucked. And that was the last game I, I wore an Eagles uniform. Uh, my contract was up. We oh, had kind of talked through some uh, possibilities of, of a three-year deal. And long story short, I had gone through this huge Ponzi deal. And I, I really wanted to kind of step back up and be able to, you know, end up the last part of my career making some extra cash for the family. And so at that point, I was just like, we'll just see what the open market is. And, you know, they did the transition tag back then. And I don't know, you know, really the, the ins and outs of what happened behind the scenes when the draft came in. But they ended up drafting Alex Henry. And then I went to the Niners and kind of the rest is history. Alex Henry did not work out. Probably a bad decision. But he <laughs> showed promise in college. What was this Ponzi deal you speak of? Well, it was it was called Triton Financial, and some of the players that I played with, Coy Detmer, Ty Detmer, uh, Chris Winkie, uh, some other guys were, were a part of working with this company. And uh, long story short is I lost a lifetime of money in 2009. Oh, and, my God. You know, you try to do things the right way. You have people that are way smarter, as you said, than you and I, that, that look into the, the fundamentals of a company looking to you know go not not go out and buy lamborghinis you know and ferraris and those things and you say okay we're going to plan for the future not a huge return it's more cash flow down the line blah 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 and um it was all legitimate company at one time they turned fraudulent and um you know one mistake he he wipes out you know millions for other people scumbag that's in jail right now for <laughs> 17 years with the without the possibility of parole i like to slap him in the mouth dave uh, yeah, I'd like to kick him square in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> how do you learn? How, how do they now listen? We're laughing about it now because obviously you've rebounded and made enough money for you yourself. Have to. You, have you have to. to. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd kill you, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, you, well, literally, that first day you find out about it, did somebody else like, hey, are you having any suspicions about your money? Or was it like a feds that came in and told you like, hey, your money is being disappeared right now and you don't even know what's happening? Yeah, no, you, you're exactly right. First off, there was a little bit like, hey, why are the quarterly checks kind of, you know, being on high? Oh, it's being pushed out or whatever. When you get a call from the FBI, one of two things is happening. Either you've really screwed somebody over or somebody's screwing you over. And this way, I was getting hosed, right? And uh, yeah, it sucked. And, and there were guys on a team that, that were part of this as well. And not to the, to the extent that I had. I'd been in for quite a while, but you know, guys like Mike Bartram and uh, Brent Selleck and, you know, guys of that, I mean, really prominent names uh, around the NFL were, were a part of this. And, and again, it's not trying to, you know, all these dumb jocks, you know, you do all these, you make this money. And, and it really wasn't a fact of, um, of trying not to do due diligence on this. And I had my financial people do due diligence in this as well. And, and you're like, yeah, it looks, you know, really good. And it wasn't like it was just one thing and you just gave them all this money. We, we actually had, 
sports facilities that were down in the Austin area, and guys would go and train there. They owned them. I mean, it, it wasn't like this was just this fictitious thing. But something happened along the lines. They robbed Peter to pay Paul, and then things just went to hell in a handbasket. How much? Well, you don't have to say how much money you had, but overall, how much money did these people steal from everybody? Did you ever get an estimate? It, w- it was over seventy million. Oh. Oh. I do know this. I helped sponsor a PGA event. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get tickets to it, though. <laughs> Who won? Who won the tournament? I don't know. It was a senior event down in Austin. Aww. Check it out. The Triton Financial. You can check it out. I don't even know if they actually got paid, to be honest with you, but we sponsored it. Well, thanks for doing that for the seniors in the PGA Tour. They did Absolutely. It. They you know, the more you can do to help, right? That's one of those <laughs> stories, though, that I heard in the locker room whenever I came into the NFL because you have – now, granted, we all have our expertise in things, right? Athletes are normally experts in what their particular field and maybe something else. Maybe it's weight training. Maybe it's being chef or something along that nature. But whenever you're told like, hey, these people are good money people and you're like, all right, let me look into it. Yeah, they're good. And whenever people you respect are like, hey, these people take care of your money. You're like, all right, I do my job. They do their job. Now I'm being smart for my future here, for my family. Here we go. And then all of a sudden, all you need is one bad person in there and it all changes i've heard horror stories about investment that's why i do all my own money management and that's why i have a professional wrestling ring a couple <laughs> bentley's some other stuff and it might be bad but at least i saw it disappear and i got to enjoy it let's absolutely go. you know what and i went back to the same so you know i'm gonna just trust in myself and, and invest in myself from here on out for the most part and and, and you're exactly right in that and you, again you try to build a team around you that are smart and, you know, it's not like I was having Joe Blow down the street. I mean, the guys was credentials here, you know. And yeah. it, unfortunately, if somebody wants to steal from me, this was an exact quote from the FBI. No matter who it is and what they're doing, they can steal from you. So that's it in a nutshell. Thanks for bringing me down today, Pat. Really <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have any more time. It's good to know. Uh, uh, okay, let's move forward past that. Congrats on a bounce back, by the way. Minor setback. Sure. Minor setback for a major comeback for David Akers. You sure. go to the Niners. You move forward. You keep kicking balls. You make enough money. Yep. Now your kid's going to make more money than you and I both combined, it looks like, with the way he's kicking balls. He's an animal. But let's talk about, have you been watching The Last Dance? Dude, so great. Now, obviously, awesome. Mother's Day yesterday. I didn't see the you know yesterday's episodes. Oh. But I've made my son, Luke, watch with me because I'm like, you just don't understand, and, and this is the thing when you're coaching and teaching the younger generation, the amount of passion, the amount of willingness to sacrifice so much to, to be great at something is, is hard to, to express out on the field, right? You're like, dude, you have to sacrifice, be ready to do anything you want if you want to achieve X, Y, or Z. And they're like, nah, that's cool, you know, I'm working. I said, but your idea of getting there is different than other people's. And when you see that portrayed out in front of you, I mean, all those professionals are great, right? And then he takes it to a whole other level. But as you and I, you know, kind of growing up in that generation, watching Jordan, I mean, the guy was just phenomenal. And they can talk about LeBron. And I talk about this when I do a lot of speaking. I use a lot of Jordan quotes. And with that, it's just the mentality. You can talk Mamba mentality. And I thought when Kobe came out and said, if you like who I am, you're talking about the one-on-one, who would win? And he's like, you understand my game came from him. You know, that's given homage to the guys. And I'm sure, guys, even in your own kind of profession as far as punting and kicking, for me, I'm a combination of Morton Anderson, John Casey, Norm Johnson, and Sean Landetta. You know, I really am all those guys wrapped into one because each one of them took the time to give me the Q&A that I needed 
and matter of fact, Morton for years called me Q. I was like, why are you calling me Q? He said, for question boy, because you ask all these daggone <laughs> questions. And still to this day, Morty calls me Q, you know? I feel like, though, you were in, I might be wrong here, but the first time I met you was warm-ups. I think you were, you were at the Eagles still. It was a little bit of a chilly game. I go over there, I shake your hand, and you were. You seem like a very focused guy. Like a lot of people I can kind of banter with a little bit, but I feel like that competitive, that competitive like fire you you very much had, I feel like, right? Am I accurate in saying that? You're, you're 100%. And it's interesting that you bring that up. And, and maybe game day, you know, I was in, you know, focus in that way. But the one thing I'll say that people are like, oh, you know, what do you do after football? You retired life. You cannot turn that competitiveness off. Agreed. And I know you've talked and, and you, you're, I've seen you punting balls out in your, your farm there and just smoking them, right? Come on. Vinny, you know, trying to figure out if he's going to continue on. And those, and Matt Overton and I were talking about, it's that competitive nature that you cannot turn off. I don't care if you're a kicker, you're a pool player, whatever you are. It's that, that innate something in you that says, I want to be great at something. And that is the biggest challenge post-NFL. I think Jordan, whenever he was watching those games, I would assume while he was watching the team without him while he's playing baseball, he was like, oh, I can beat that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy. And I, I think that happens with a lot of players. That's Absolutely. Why, that's why you see a lot of players nowadays, especially thinking about coming out of retirement, because it's like, I feel like the level of the game is at a point where I can still compete if I had to. Have you yep. seen any kick? Because last year was not a good year for the brand kicking. I mean, it was... Nope. Probably the worst I've ever seen in my entire life. I literally almost packed up and just went to like seven different teams last year. Could happen. How old are you at this point? I'm 45. Let me give you a little. I don't even know if you know what kind of happened at the end of my career. So I go to my sixth Pro Bowl out in San Francisco. I get the golden toe that year with Andy Lee. We got a split. It was a great year for the brand in San Francisco. Amen. But. But I come off of that, and I find out I have the quote-unquote sports hernia, right? So I get my first surgery. We go into that next season. The first game back, I hit the 63-yarder opening day in Green Bay. I'm like, feeling pretty good. The recovery's been all right. A couple of weeks later, we have new turf down San Fran, and it's pouring down rain. We're out, and I do a kickoff. And, you know, other than people that know kickoffs, you have to explode everything you have through there. And I did a full-on Charlie Brown flipped up, landed back on my shoulder, and I was like, yep, everything's together. We're cool. So the next day I go out and I kick, and I started feeling that same pain right in the, the, the pelvic area, and I was like, this sucks. Oh, no. And no matter what I did, it just continued to, to, to fester and fester. I would hit field goals in practice. It would be good. In the game, everything was like right down the left pole. If, and you look on film, it looked good. Like, what in the hell is going on? Brad Seeley was like, man, your form looks good. We couldn't figure it out. I was having a terrible year. Mason Crosby and I had a terrible year that year. And so we go to the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl, I get released. I get released injured. They made me go back to see my surgeon. The surgeon said, hey, I think you need another surgery. Go back in. They release my adductors now. I go back and say, okay, I think I'm ready to start kicking. The Lions picked me up. I was like, all right, we're, let's go. And I started kicking again, and I felt like I was getting stabbed in my leg every time I took a shot. Oh, no. So I had to go back into surgery. And at that point, it's like, all right, it's May 5th, I believe, 2013. I hadn't really kicked the ball. We went through the entire offseason, new holder with Sam Martin, and, again, a guy that can just drop bombs. Yep, um, so he's, he's never really held. 
So we go into mini camps, no kicking. We go into training camp as the first time we work together. And uh, it wasn't the greatest of year, but it wasn't a terrible year. I missed five kicks. Two of those were blocked. You know, like it's I have nice. one kick and one regret that I missed on Thanksgiving, a 30-yarder, and we were having some issues on protection, and I rushed it off. So the last that was the last time I played was in Minnesota. Uh, that was the end of, uh, of the season, that 2013 year. And basically – in 22 months, my last Pro Bowl to my last game was 22 months. I had three surgeries within 16 months, and that was it. My body just would not stay good enough. My kicking wasn't great. And uh, I actually came and moved to Nashville, and I was training with Rob Baronis. And Rob and I would That's go out, and I, I actually was feeling better. I feel like the body was just kind of healing, and I was ready to kind of give it a go. Rob gets killed in that car wreck. And I really didn't kick after that. It was like my training guy was there. And I, I did go down in the dumps a little bit, you know, trying to, to figure out like what now. But uh, that's kind of like you feel like you're three straight Pro Bowls and then you're unemployed in like a matter of a few years. And it's just kind of a crazy ride. But I think if I went out and tried to kick really hard right now, my leg might go further in the ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, we got to get to a break. I can't thank you enough. You were – a guy I looked up to whenever we were in the league, I, I, when I was in the league. Big fan of your mentality. Plus, I mean, 5'9", very tall in the real world. But in kicking world, that's not that big. So the amount of the amount of force that you had to generate with those tiny little legs of yours. Is really- <laughs> <laughs> we little legs. Real quick, you are a guy right now that the younger generation is now looking at. So thank you for looking up to me. But my son looks up to you and watches all it. He's totally in for the brand so thank you for what you're doing out there i love it keep going brother no david you're the best and that speech you gave at the draft electrifying absolutely electrifying one caveat i couldn't hear myself talk so i ended up screaming like a little (laughs) you know so topped it though let's just be honest in nashville giving it to him come on brother it was pretty awesome i'm a professional speaker though so i should but the fact <laughs> that you couldn't hear yourself that is a tough thing hey you see all the greats can't hear themselves they start yelling i thought you were le- i watch yours before mine i appreciate you and tell luke i think he's going to be a monster that kid's big and he hits the ball far that's something Love that it. I don't think a lot of people can do and his dad is david acres i mean <laughs> I, I think luke is going to be the guy ladies and gentlemen six-time pro bowler Former Detroit Lion, <laughs> David Akers. Yeah! <laughs> Appreciate you, Later, David. Brother. Hey, he's the man. We are being joined now by a man who hosts the Darren Woodson Show, which is a podcast that's available where all podcasts are. I've heard it's an incredible show. I haven't got to listen yet. Will, after this conversation, a man who's in the Dallas Cowboys ring of honor, obligatory Dallas Cowboys talk with legend Darren Woodson. Yeah, yeah boy, Darren! Hey, man, I just got done hearing during the break. I just got done hearing you talk about jumping out of a, a plane. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, we're talking about skydiving there during the break a little bit. You ever done that? No, listen, let me ask you this, Pat. How many black folks have ever jumped out of a plane? I would like to know the numbers. I bet you I can count them on one. So, so there are some notoriously Caucasian activities. Skydiving is one of them. Shark Week is just a different group of white people jumping into water with sharks oh, every shark thirty. Week, for all, sure. all white people at that particular time. Um, Darren, what have you been up to during the quarantine, boss? The Darren Woodson show is going well. I can't wait to listen to that. What else have you been up to? Yeah, well, of course, I'm a I'm a partner in a commercial real estate firm here in Dallas, and we uh, actually oh, we're we're headquartered 
at the uh, Star in Frisco. So we, my my office overlooks the practice field. I can still watch the Dallas Cowboys practice wow. week in and week out. Nothing going on now, but for the last three years, that's what, or last year and a half, that's where we've been officing out of. So uh, that's where the commercial real estate side. But on the other side, man, listen, I was 14 years at ESPN as an analyst, and uh, you and I had just missed each other. I was leaving. You were coming in. Yeah. Uh, but I had done 14 years there and wanted to walk away because I, I felt like there was more to just doing sports and talking sports. I've always been, I've always had that business side of me and I wanted to do the Darren Woodson show, start the Darren Woodson show because I wanted to dive in and be more passionate about the stories yeah. about the Pat McAfee story, not just the place kicker who got drafted in the seventh round, but why, how did you get to the point where, to where you got to? Yeah. And why are you on the number one show uh, on TV now? Thank you. I mean, wh- what is, you know, how did you guys get there? What's the journey? And that's what I wanted to do when we started the Darren Woodson show is go through the journey. I had uh, Rich Froning on, the king of CrossFit on just the other day, man. And he, and he talked about that dark side. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, he big- talked about when you get there, you can't feel your legs. And you can't feel your arms, and he goes to this dark side of himself that that pushes him through, and that's that's the stories you want to hear, and that's what I'm so passionate about. What year at ESPN were you like, you know what? I kind of want to dive deeper into this type of thing. Was it there towards the end, or was it like halfway through? You're like, I'm enjoying, halfway. yeah, I'm enjoying halfway, this analyst. because you know how on ESPN is, you sit there and you do a two minute interview, and then whoever that is, Peyton Manning's gone. You do two minutes, and he's gone. He's off. You so you don't really get to know who Peyton Manning is. I know you know him, but, you know, the fans want to know yeah. who, who that certain particular, you know, uh, athlete is. And we just never got deep into this. I think the best shows, and I wish you were there when I was there, because the best shows are done in the green room. Hey, good time in the green room. Now, oh, me, and, me and Rex that, Ryan used to have a blast. And Damian Woody. imagine Rex oh, in the green room. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, but, but you want to get to hear stories. That's where you hear the real, true stories of how coaches had different outlooks. Like Herm Edwards and I would be in the green room for hours, and he would just in-depth talk about his philosophy and how he would approach players and, you know, those stories. Those are the stories I want to hear, man, and that's the deep dive I want to get into. That's awesome. That's the Internet, by the way. That's the new form of conversation that people are interested. That's why podcasts have taken off. That's why YouTube's taken off. That's why the old form of media is kind of dying. I don't want to say that out loud, but, I mean, it's real. Um, Let's talk about your relationship with Jerry Jones here now. If we can backpedal a little bit. There's a guy I'd like to hear his story if you ever get him on. We can't wait to hear that. Is he a part of your commercial real estate company, or how would you get your office in in the Star facility there? Yeah, no, he's not a part of the real estate company, but uh, he probably wishes he had some his hands in the company. That's for sure. uh, but listen, I tell you what. One thing about Jerry, Jerry's a great salesman. So Jerry owns the buildings, uh, the, the building that we're in, and he and Stephen basically rolled out the red carpet to get us in there. Now we're paying. There are no discounts. <laughs> per foot, we're paying top market. Like he he recruited us. Come on out. You have a great time. You use our resources and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you're paying $60 a foot. Whoa. <laughs> same t- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are no breaks now. That's the reason the man is as rich as he is. But uh, it's been a great experience. Listen, I think the one thing about Jerry, which you always know, is talk about a mindset. And, I, and I've been watching this mindset on uh, uh, what's the show with Jordan, uh, the Bulls. The Last uh, Dance. Yes. Yeah. It's been awesome. Awesome. And it, and it's about a mindset. It's about Jordan's mindset. If you just transfer that into the cor- into the cor- corporate 
business world, that's Jerry Jones's mindset. Very similar to Michael Jordan's in the fact that he's going to get up, he's going to bust his ass. The people that don't that are not going to like him, he could give a damn if you do, if you don't. But he's going to do it his way. And we saw we see not only in the business side of things, but also in the way he runs the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, he takes a lot of shots and a lot of criticisms, but the same thing. He says the same thing over and over again. It's mine. And because it's mine, I'm going to run it my way. And he built a stadium with his own money, by the way. He built a stadium with his own money. He said, listen, I don't want any taxpayers' money because, to be honest, I don't want anybody to think that they should be able to tell me what I should do with the team. This is my team. He's had success in everything he's done, basically. So all these conversations about people like, does Jerry need to get his hands out of the team or something like that? It's like, how do you tell a guy who has literally made this franchise into the franchise it is that he is somehow a failure? I just don't know if that's accurate. And it feels like he's still putting together incredible rosters that just so happens to be missing one key piece right now, which is Dak Prescott. Do you think that deal will ever get done? Yeah, I think a deal gets done. I I do. I I really do. And if you talk to the Jones family, Stephen and Charlotte Jones and and even Jerry, they'll tell you how much how in love they are with this young man. And, And again, my office oversees the field. And Pat, you know this. You played with some of the greatest out there, man. Great ones. They show up every day every day to work and i've seen dak prescott looking out my window in the in june with the fifth guy one of the special teams players who's running routes Mm. out there by himself at two o'clock in the afternoon he'd already done his early morning workout comes back out and throws balls and you just see this guy with his work ethic is tremendous his leadership skills within the locker room are you know just he came in his rookie year and they called him a leader and I just you've seen this guy continue to grow and mature as a player. And the Jones family definitely respects it. Listen, I, I was there when Troy Aikman retired. We went through quarterback purgatory. We couldn't find shit, dog. I'm telling you, it was hard <laughs> as hell to bring in a quarterback. The quarterbacks were, yeah, I'm not. The quarterbacks were terrible at that time after Troy left. And then Romo came in, you know, years later. But we went through four or five years where, we just didn't have a guy at that position. And the Joneses have been there. And that's what surprises me surprises me about this situation is they've been there before. Why not solidify it? You know who the guy is. He's he's your guy. He's your future. He's the one you want to build this franchise around. Why not get him done? And I think that goes for both sides. I don't think this is just a Jerry Jones, Jones family against Dak. I think Dak needs to give a little bit as well to get the contract done. That's interesting because – for, I have a couple questions. How many other offices can just look into the practice field? Are you the only one, or is there like... No, no, there's a whole... Listen, there's... Dr. Pepper is building a building right across. So, you know how Jerry is. It's all about corporate, bro. It's all about the dollar. So, <laughs> it's... There's two buildings that basically surround... There's three buildings, actually, that engulf the pra- outdoor practice field. So, it's not only my business, but there's... I don't know. Maybe 30, 40 other... Uh, businesses I, that can oversee the practice field. You can't work on anything then out in that practice field because you're going to get got by the <laughs> modern technology if you're just working on something and it looks terrible. It's like uh, Dak is working. Yeah. This ain't well, it. Belichick has an office. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what um, I, I don't know. Hey, by the way, if you're getting paid, I, you know why the Cowboys probably don't win any games? <laughs> All you need is one turncoat in that damn business. Any of those businesses to film. Yeah. Yeah. 
You look right down on it, man. But hey, listen, they go inside and outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Uh, why do you think? So you just said that you think Dak also has to give in a look because in business, by the way, you're not going to get everything you want. They're not going to yeah. get everything they want. It's a it's a figure out how to meet in the middle. As soon as he signed that agent, I guess that is known for just getting the maximum dollar possible. I think everybody knew that it was a potential fight coming up. I don't think any of us expected it to last this long. And then they sign Andy Dalton, obviously for three million dollars. Yeah. The whole conversation starts. It's like, why are they signing all these people other than Dak? You ultimately believe, as somebody who has been there, done that, knows Jerry, knows Dak, you think this deal is 100% getting done? I think this deal is 100% getting done. And I, and I think that, you know, when you look at this, again, looking at this organization, they know who their leader is. And, and, and I get it. Andy Dalton's a very good quarterback. Okay. But Andy Dalton's not going to be the future of this organization. Thank it's you. about Dak. And it's and you, you talk to everyone, Tyron Smith and – Zach Martin and that offensive line, they'll tell you who the true leader is of that organization. I just think that there's going to be a point this year in the next couple of months where this deal gets done and it's Jerry who's going to pull the trigger. Ladies and gentlemen, Darren Woodson of the Darren Woodson Show. Incredible conversation. I'm going to listen to it on my way home. I cannot wait. You said you talked to a guy named Tyler. Who's the Tyler you talked to? Tyler Klutz. You talking about Tyler on the uh, on my podcast? Yeah, I saw you. I saw you record a promo for it. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna listen oh, yeah. to this okay, one. Okay, so it's, it's three of us. It's Tyler Klutz, who played former player for the Dallas Cowboys. He played a couple years with the Cowboys. Played seven years in the league. He's a in, in the real estate firm that we we all work in the same real estate firm. Source Tyler Klutz and I. Ben Gibbs is another one who played at ACU at uh, Abilene Christian. Didn't get out into the into the league. Talented guy, tight tight end. But it's all three of us, man. And, you know, what brought us together was the transition that we've all had to make to the business world. And because we had to go through this transition, and, and there's so many players. I know you, you probably had to go through it too, Pat. When, when your time was up and football didn't want you anymore, you had to make this transition. And three of us have talked every day about, in that commercial real estate firm in, 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 at ESRP. We talk every day about making that transition and how hard it was and how many people helped us through that process. And that's what the Darren Wilson show is all about, man. It's about making the transition, getting to know other people in other verticals, not just the sports world. You know, we're interviewing people, CEOs, doctors, attorneys, and, and all. And, I, and, and that's one of the things that I needed to do. I mean, that's where my passion is. You can probably hear it in my voice. Yeah. The passion is hearing oh, yeah. interesting stories hearing people that have had these road bumps, have hit these road bumps, found a way to get their ass up after getting hit in the mouth. Oh, yeah. Got back up and got going. And that's the stories that everyone wants to hear. That's the story I needed to hear. Hey, amen. I can't wait to listen to those. You guys are owning malls down there? You own malls? Is that what you were doing? No, no. We are. Uh, you talking about the commercial real estate side? Oh, yeah. No, no. We are what we call it a tenant rep firm. We, we represent, if you're looking for office space, if you're looking for industrial space, here we go. We represent you. Hey, That's what we hey, okay, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Cowboys Ring of Honor member and businessman podcast host Darren Woodson. Thank you, buddy. Hey. Thanks, Pat. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now, the head coach of the West Virginia Mountaineer football squad, Neil Bryan. The other way. What's happening, guys? We need you to move the other way a little bit. It's our fault, not yours. The yep, yep, yep. Oh, Bingo. Nailed it. Nailed it. Coach, how are you over there in Morgantown trying to spend time during the quarantine, trying to connect with your players and still move on as normal as possible, I assume? 
Yes, I think that uh, our team probably about like everybody else is about hit their quarantine peak here. <laughs> um, but it's uh, yeah, we're in sunny Morgantown today. Hey, I feel for you guys, man. Like how how do you do it? How do you do a show every day when they're on? Uh, like this is this is this is taking all the creativity you got, man. Uh, By the way, I enjoy, I enjoy the show. I listen to you guys. Oh, Neil, I appreciate wow. that. And then that means that you, if you do listen and watch the show, you've known that for the last what forty days we have talked about absolute garbage, and it's <laughs> it's a tough thing every morning to wake up and be like, okay, there's nothing to talk about. What are we gonna do? And then you just get in here, you spew stupidity, and you just keep it moving. And that's just kind of what we've been doing. You know, you can't do that. I can. Hey, I I enjoyed the. Uh... The jump shot, the jump shot thank deal you. the other day. Thank that was you. quality. Hey, hey I, I caught myself as a forty-year-old man on my uh, on my basketball go outside of my house. My kids go inside, and I'm actually taking shots. And I'm like, I'm about fifteen shots in. I'm like, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm forty years old. What am I doing? The Last Dance. Have you been watching The Last Dance? I think oh, everybody's getting it. the basketball fever right now. You know what? Here's what it's been for me is um, it's been really cool because um, I was in high school during those. I was in high school, like the 96, 97, 98. That was my sophomore, junior, and senior high school. So it's not just Mike, who who everybody loved Mike, but it's the music they're playing. It's the flashbacks. It's it's a. it's been must-watch TV for me. How do you try to instill that type of attitude and mentality into a player? Is it something they either got or they don't have? I'd assume this is a big coaching moment for you, watching literally the most competitive human, getting a chance to see him behind the scenes, the way he interacts with his teammates, the expectations of himself, that Space Jam gym that he had built just so he can <laughs> go to work. How do you use that as a coaching point? I would assume you have to at this point. You know, we did. Uh, we have, we've been doing Zoom team meetings, so – our Zoom team, team meeting that we had yesterday, um, we sh- we started off with a clip from The Last Dance, and it was the one about there's a price. And I thought that was so profound. You know, simple. You could tell it was off the cuff, but you could tell, and he really heartfelt that there's a price to winning, there's a price to leadership, and and you do have to pay that price. And we used that with our team yesterday. And the thing that I talked to our team about is there is a price to leadership. And to me, there's always this internal battle with leaders, with leaders in general, between popularity and being respected, oh, yeah. you know, and everybody wants to be liked. I mean, that's just natural. If people say, oh, I don't care what people think, I don't necessarily buy that. Okay. I think that everybody has this inherent, you know, they want to be liked, but as a leader, it's more important to be respected and it's a fine line. And so we talked about that with our team. And then here's the thing, like on any team and you put, you've played on teams, You've got alphas. Everybody's not an alpha. And I think that sometimes you've got to realize that you're not an alpha. And what I really taught, brought home to our team, because we got a lot more uh, Steve Kerr's, Bill Winnington's, uh, Luke Longley's. we got a lot more of those than Michael Jordan's. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we got some good players, but we got a lot. we got a lot more guys that need to be great followers. And that's the thing that, you know, because everybody can't relate to Michael Jordan, but everybody can relate to that role player. And that's the thing that really stuck out to me is there's a price that for leadership, yeah, but there's also a price for followership. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a bunch. And that's what I really challenged our guys with is, hey, we got to be great followers. You know, we've got some alphas. we got some great leadership on this team. Let's follow those guys that are setting the standard. Being able to buy into a role 
is exactly. a no massive doubt. part of team success. I mean, that is a huge part. It's like, hey, I understand what my role is, and everybody do your job. I mean, it's Belichick's thing. It's Belichick's entire model is do your job, and that's about buying into your role. For your leaders, do you have like a leadership council? I, because a lot of things have changed now since I was in college, right? Leaders were in the locker room, and there was not a lot of give and take between Rich Rod and the team. It was like, hey, this is what we're doing. You either like it or you don't, and we would meet amongst each other. Now I'm talking to teams that have like leadership council that meet with the coach and then there's these Thursday meetings that happen how do you kind of differentiate and stay in touch with your leaders of your team while also maintaining the role of a head coach and not wanting to overstep your boundaries in the locker room yeah so here's what we're doing right now is we've got our team divided into 10 accountability teams and so there's a captain and there's a vice captain of these accountability teams so these accountability teams are really sub teams within our team okay so we have 10 captains, and what we do is those are those are guys that are proven leaders that have proven themselves. And I think when you talk about leaders, you talk about your best players, your hardest workers, or your best character guys, all right? And then you have some veterans that are, that are mixed in there as well. But then we have these vice captains. These are kind of leaders in training, guys that we think are talented, guys that we think have leadership skills. Maybe they've had a little bit of success on the field, but we think they're going to be really good. Um, so that's what we're doing right now is really training those captains and we're trying to grow from a, really a, a coach led team to a, to a, a player led team. It's a process, but normally what we do is we take those accountability teams and we take them to the summer and then we have each position group. All right. And each grade level, you know, there's five classes. You basically have a freshman, a redshirt freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Um, and we have a representative from each position room and a representative from each class that's on this leadership council. And, uh, hmm. and, and I think here's the thing. Here's the reason why. I agree. Like, like when you were playing or when I was playing, it was more of a dictatorship. Oh, yeah. But the thing about it, the guys are so much more educated now. And, and players in college football have a louder voice. And I don't think it's – I think it's, I'm fine with it. That's why we try to stay in front of this NIL deal as well. I mean – Players have a voice, and you can't ignore that voice. So you got to give it to them, um, and that's what we're trying to do within our team, as far as with these accountability teams and with the leadership council piece. Accountability buddies, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good yeah. move. I, yeah. I, I respect that move, and I also like what you've done. You've done a great job of trying to not only incorporate the team with the state of West Virginia, but the community of the team and the culture of the team. And I think you working with that branding guy is just another another a beautiful example of that. The NIL deal name image likeness which is coming to fruition from the ncaa a lot of coaches are kind of torn on this entire thing you got the coaches who have big boosters and big donors and big corporations around them that love it because they know they'll be able to do autograph signings they know that they'll be able to potentially offer up things and you're taking the model of hey yeah we do have some companies that'll probably get involved in this entire thing but if you build up your own brand you'll be able to make money yourself which people do a lot of on the internet i think this is a smart move by you well, I think here's what I think about the the NLI is I think it's inevitable, and I think you can either embrace it or you can challenge it. And we've chosen to to take the player side and embrace it. And the way I look at it is you're going to have the stars, okay, that you know the Pat Whites when you were playing or the Will Greer a couple years ago or whoever the star is. Um, the stars on your men's basketball team and your football team they're going to get opportunities to make money, oh, yeah. right? Um, but where the to me where the opportunity is for our players are is to build your brand to use post athletic career. That's my thought on it. And and I think what we're going to try to do is try to train these guys. And Jeremy Darlow, he's he's the guy. He, he brought he brought Adidas to the mainstream with the hip hop and all that kind of stuff. And 
And so he's got a course, and he's going to train our guys how to use the how to how to use the platform they have. And their platform may be to 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 be an influence on social media. It may be to go back to their hometown and and be able to use their their name, image, and likeness back in their hometown. And so just being creative and trying to stay in front of it and, and helping these guys for when they get done with playing. I thought there was always should be a life major for college athletes, right? Like I took yeah. communications. I mean, I guess I'm using it now, but I didn't graduate. I had teammates that were in degrees that they were never going to ever make any money off of. I thought there should be a life major where it's like, hey, here's your taxes here. Here's how you make money. Okay. This, what you're doing to them in hiring this branding thing is a life lesson, especially in the world that we live in now because the amount of money you can make, it's the new gold rush is the internet. So I think this is a very good idea by you. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, look at look at what you've done. I mean, to use using examples, like you've taken your brand and you spread it on social media. Now you have multiple media platforms that you're able to, and that, you're just one example. And I'm not, I'm not just blowing smoke because it's your show, but I'm just saying you're a great example of that. And here's what we're trying to do: is we call it a fifth quarter program. We got five pillars that we that we've really designed to help prepare our guys for life after football. And and I think is we talk about we have we have a mission in our program. And it's to serve and develop, and it's and there's three phases. There's an academic pay, uh, piece, there's a there's a manhood piece, and there's a championship piece. And that manhood piece is the fifth quarter. And we're trying to prepare them to be everything they need to be in life outside of football. And you got to do it, man. And and I, I just think that I fell in love with this game because I love football. I love athletics. You know, I'm talking about shooting basketball. Um, I'm on. Uh, I'm the PE teacher here at my home school, so we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have some <laughs> softball work here at, uh, at during lunch, but. Uh, I, I love sports, and every sports have given me every opportunity in my life, and uh, and I think it's really important. And I started coaching because I wanted to be around young people, and I love the game of football, and I wanted to give back. But the more I'm in it, I really think it's just a platform to help develop people for what's next. Yeah, you take boys and make them men. I mean, it's a massive growing time, not only physically, but mentally for everybody. And it feels like you really cherish that. I mean, you had a lot of success at Troy. You come to West Virginia. Now we're in, now you're in the Big 12, right? The Big 12 talked about how tough it is, how demanding it is, especially for West Virginia who has to travel four hours every single game, it feels like. I don't know if the Big 12 was the right move. Probably the ACC would have been smarter. But I that was both after my time, before your time there. But adjusting to life in the Big 12, what has it been like getting to West Virginia now trying to build your team your way which by the way sounds like a very sound way of building teams by the way is from within and kind of build that thing up what have you found as your your transition here to West Virginia as the head coach and the Big 12 in general yeah well the the Big 12 is a challenging league and the thing that's different about the Big 12 is is there's so much parity in our league um that's what's really difficult um, as far as West Virginia, we got a great product. Tradition speaks for itself. One of the winningest college, uh, programs in all of college football. The thing that's unique to us, and you know this from playing here, is that we are – there's no other Power 5 school. There's no NFL. There's no NBA. We are – our kids get treated like professional athletes here legally. And I don't mean, I mean that legally, but we are the biggest show in this state. And, and our guys get to perform on a huge stage, and that makes us unique. There's very, very few setups like that in all of college athletics. Have you loved Morgantown, West Virginia? What, what was your first whenever you showed up in Mor- Morgantown? a different place now. Morgantown is a great time, got good people, but it's a very different place. Whenever you showed up in Morgantown, what were your first thoughts? You know, I, I've been through here, um, but I never actually spent a whole lot of time. So 
the first the first thoughts are for the positive is I, I I'm I'm a big time uh, I like college towns like yeah. that's where I want to be a part of oh yeah uh, I like the college town atmosphere um, and then a couple of the 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 negatives are they not the negatives but I mean it's 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 hilly here I oh yeah mountains, <laughs> hey that's why <laughs> I got had to get a scooter I got a uh, I got a remote control scooter had a remote start and everything because you're either walking like this or you're walking like that at <laughs> that, any given exactly mo- right yeah and and my driving skills had to get way better okay because <laughs> the roads are narrow and there's few potholes here so like I'm improved I'm a I'm, I'm very I'm a much better driver here than I was in Alabama. <laughs> Coach, your first year at Troy, you guys were four and eight, and then you never uh, won less than ten games the rest of the time there. Then you were five and seven last year. Like when you're making, when you're coming into a program and you're trying to turn it around, what's the what's the biggest thing? Is it X's and O's? Is it culture? Is it getting your guys in? Is it getting the uh, the community to accept the team? Like what is it? No, the biggest thing to me is culture. It's buy in. That that's what you're trying to you're trying to get guys to invest, and. and you talk about in, in football, you're getting all these personalities, all these egos, and you're trying to get them pointed in the same direction. And so the culture is the toughest thing, and it takes some time. And and that's that's the hardest thing to me is is getting buy-in, and that's kind of where we're heading. This is, uh, you know, our mission for, for next fall is to be the most improved team in the country. That's what we're trying to attack. Um, but it, it's a challenge. We had a good run at Troy. Troy's a great place. Doesn't get talked about as, uh, a whole lot, but – it's a great place. I coached there for nine years, uh, or eight and a, eight and a half years, excuse me, four as head coach and four as an assistant. And the the last three years that we had there, 16, 17, 18, was a phenomenal run. Where are you from originally, Coach? I'm from Kentucky. Yep. I grew up in uh, grew up in Barstown, Kentucky, which is the, the bourbon capital of the world. Lived there to, uh, until I was about 13. My dad's a high school principal, and he took a job in Danville, Kentucky, and and that's where, uh, and that's where I finished. Went to high school, and man, I'm proud of where I'm from. Great, great people there in Central Kentucky, and and uh, very fortunate in that regard. What's the best distillery down there? Best distillery, yeah. Listen, here's the deal. I'm I'm, I'm hunting I'm hunting branding opportunities like our players, but I ain't picking one. Smart, <laughs> hey, smart, I ain't picking one. That's very smart. You, you've been watching that guy's course through the entire. Thing. That's exactly right. Hey, you flipped. Exactly right. You have flipped the facilities and everything in there in a beautiful fashion. I, I, I Jamal Adai, who everybody yeah. has respected, that's come through West Virginia. There was a Zoom call that I was a part of a couple of weeks ago, which is a very smart move, by the way, hiring Jamal and trying to get the OGs back into the facility. But they laid out what the, the facility is going to look like here in like a year, I guess. You guys are going to work over there in Morgantown to make WVU a legit squad all of a sudden. The, 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 one of the few uh, good things about this uh, pandemic break that we're on is we've got a major construction uh oh yeah going on at our facility hey they're doing it in our building too neil believe it or not (laughs) they're they're hammering right above us every single day sorry yeah so that's been that's been a good thing there's they've been able to get ahead of schedule during this construction because we're not in it you know there's nobody in there so they've got full reign uh, of the facility so we're actually getting ahead on that but yeah we're we've got a 56 million dollar uh renovation going to the push car center and when it's done um like we'll have a locker room, players' lounge. Those things are going to be done 
um, in July, and then in April, the whole things will be done. It'll be state of the art. It'll be as good as anywhere in college football. Yeah, it looked beautiful from the pictures I saw. I can't wait to get back and watch a game. What is the team going to look like next year? What type of squad are you building, not only through this quarantine, but through this culture process that you've been here for the last two years? I would assume that you're antsy to have a lot of success there, as are the Mountaineer fans. What is the team going to look like next year? And what is a Neil Brown squad? What are the traits of the squad? Yeah, well, if you can get any college football coach right now, since they have last team activity we had was March twelfth, so uh, I see our team on Zoom, man. So I hope I hope they're doing what we need to be doing, <laughs> and I think that uh, if we're about the right things, we will be. But um, the good th- the good thing about it is everybody's going through the same thing. It's not like there's been any uh, competitive imbalance. I mean, everybody's doing the same thing. Our, our our goal is be the most improved team. I thought we played really good football in the month of November last year. We won two of our last three and um, against two quali- Kansas State and TCU quality football. Um, we've got some. We've got we're we're a really young team, one of the youngest teams in the country last year. Uh, we return almost our entire production offensively, um, and then we've got some of our our top playmakers back on defense. And so there's some key things we got to do. We got to be able to run the football better. That's that's number one. Uh, we can't throw as many interceptions defensively. We we got to be better in the red zone, and then we got to be more consistent special teams wise. Okay, and for us, you know, I think this is a big a big year for us. I think we're capable of of having a a major improvement. I'm looking forward to it. You know, here's what I want us to be at West Virginia. I want us to be a team that doesn't beat ourselves. That, that's that's what um, we want to line up. And we will be a group that plays fast, plays hard, plays physical, and and, and doesn't beat ourselves. That's that's and to me, that's about details. That's about details, and and that's what we're developing. Um, and and we want to build a. Our goal here is to build a, a program that competes for championships in in November. That doesn't mean we're going to win. That's the goal. We want to win one every time. But if you're competing in November for championships, you're going to get a chance to win your share. Well, I can't wait to watch you get the boys back to the top there. Can't wait to see it happen this November. And I can't wait to see the team that you have coming out of these Zoom meetings. I think everybody's going to learn a lot about their players coming out of these Zooms. I don't know what I would have looked like if I had this in college, to be 100% honest. But I'm pumped to see what the Mountaineers put on the field. And I thank you for joining us, boss. Hey, I appreciate it, man. My, my feelings were getting hurt, man. I, I see all these college football coaches getting out of here. And then West Virginia wasn't getting any love, man. I was like... I told Monty, I was like, we got to get Pat. We got to get on the show, man. Listen, Neil, I want to let you know, I do not do the bookings, but whenever Monty <laughs> called me and said that you were coming on the show, I was very excited about it. I've been getting texts from a lot of other people, too, who are not happy that I've had him on the show, and I would like to let people know, I do not handle that haven't handled that i will start handling it moving forward because neil brown needs to be on the show i appreciate you good luck to your squad hey i appreciate it hey enjoy watching you guys enjoy listening to you guys keep up the good work how's your jumper by the way you said at 40 you were shooting in the how was it pretty good all right hey listen i i can i can stroke it still i'm uh i'm a set shot guy but i can i can fill it up it's uh but here's the deal i'm at an age where i'm really worried about my achilles so i'm not playing any pickup smart Mm -hmm. i'm jump shot guy now yeah three point line to three point line by the way that's all you got to do just play zone defense and then just put up shots and don't really create too much havoc just stand still that's a good move hey and here's what i do is like i'm a horse guy um and i go straight to the free throw line all the guys come over to my house, oh. and, and I'm taking them straight out by the free throw line because nobody shoots free throws anymore. Fundamentals. Hey, fundamentals. <laughs> you learn a lot about people there whenever you go straight to the free throw line. I appreciate yeah, you, Coach. I, I can't wait to get back and uh, you know hang out and watch your team. I, I'm excited to watch them grow. Hey, you're welcome anytime. 
Anytime, man. We'll get you back and you can lead Country Roads. Hey. Country Roads, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, Mountain Mama. Okay, now, Coach, you probably don't know this, and I hope your players don't, but does every bar rock that at midnight still? You know, that's a good question. Um, you probably should probably I'm going to assume yes. I'm going to assume yes. But hey, listen, you don't ask questions. You don't want to know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good call. I mean, the last thing you need is your kicker to be telling you, oh, yeah, well, at this bar at midnight, does, <laughs> that's not a great answer. Ladies and gentlemen, Coach Neil Brown. Can't thank you enough for listening and all the guests. We'll be back manana with another Feel Good Friday. More chitter-chatter, pitter-patter, hopefully get you through this bullshit time that we're currently living in. Feels like everything's starting to come back to life. Now, granted, California locked down. New York, Massachusetts, the West Coast, things of that nature, who've been, you know, devastatingly struck by this entire thing. T's and P's. Hate that you're going through it. But it feels like in the middle of America here where there wasn't as many cases, and it feels like the leagues are about to open back up a little bit. All right, I like a little taste of optimism. We'll see you in Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music.